0: Welcome to Midnight Book Club. I'm John Mark.
1: And I'm Alexa.
0: Pour yourself a stiff drink, pull up a chair, and get lost in the fantasy for a while.
2: Bonjour!
0: Bonjour!
1: Bonjour!
0: Omelady from omelette, bienvenue, de fromage, <laughs> omelette, de- dieu. Beyond
1: the new to our episode tonight. We are going to be insufferable because we are in, on the Toussaint episode. So we are going to be making a lot of not quite French jokes, maybe Franglish jokes, and uh, drinking a lot of wine. Subsequently,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we had to get we had to get some French ass wine for some French ass chapters. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we went a little overboard on this. A little <laughs> this
1: overboard, we, a little extra. We,
0: I know we've only ever done it twi- once before with having two two tastings, but we're going to start off with a tasting.
1: But we couldn't help it. Like, mm-hmm. Toussaint is the land of having fun and drinking wine, so we felt like we had to bring a little of that energy to this podcast.
0: There uh, there's a fantastic line uh, regarding wine later in the uh, chapter that I think we might have to uh, we might have to get made into T-shirts or something. Maybe, I, I maybe. think that might that might go over really well. <laughs> I, I personally really loved it. So uh, I think that might you know, that might be a new a new phraseology or catchphrase for our show. But
1: well, we don't want to spoil it.
0: Oh, actually, you know, I'm curious as to because I don't keep track of like things that we say a lot. I'm curious as to what our fans know and like view as our catchphrases. I don't so know. It's probably I, stupid. <laughs> <they're> pro- yes. <laughs> it's probably something that like I don't even. It's probably just like, um, or actually. Uh. In but, the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not how it happened. But if, if, if any of you guys feel that we have catchphrases, uh, let us know. I'm, I'm actually really curious now.
1: You can DM us mm-hmm. on Instagram mm-hmm. at Midnight Bookcast. Again, that's Midnight Bookcast.
0: Always be plugging. But yeah, so I'm going to start with opening up a bottle of wine. Right. This is. A Grand Vin Bordeaux uh, from Chateau Maison Noble, uh, Saint Martin.
1: Maison Noble.
0: Maison Noble. Uh, I'm sorry, when I speak French, Spanish comes out, okay? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Bordeaux Superior. Uh, so we, I think we have done uh, Bordeaux on this show before. In
1: fact, for our very first episode. Oh,
0: was it? Yes. Oh, we wow. We did a Bordeaux oh, wow.
1: for our very first episode.
0: Wow. But Um, we haven't
1: revisited French wine much since then.
0: No, it tends to be something that we stay away from a little bit because we try to drink things that most people could probably get a hold of. French wine tends to not always be in that category. So um, we tend to avoid it a little bit. And I realize that like a lot of our listeners are not in the United States. So I don't know what they have for availability for wine in other countries.
1: Yeah, I'd Um, really love to hear what wine that you have at your
0: local store. Would also love that because i would like to try and find some and maybe try it
1: yeah i know um, we have listeners in south america and mm-hmm, europe and mm-hmm. canada and australia and i'm sure the wine is great in all of those places mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. absolutely definitely want to hear what you have around you again midnight Bookcast at instagram yeah, yeah. so you can always dm us
0: <laughs> yeah unfortunately we can't really speak to like what our international listeners can get um so we kind of just keep it to what we can get uh so
1: in our little Sorry, corner guys. of the world.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to open this up. This is a So, Bordeaux is a region
1: of France. So, you were correct. Bordeaux is a commune in the drone oh. department in southeastern France. So, it is named after a region. I know everyone is so riveted by this right now.
0: We know that like the the wine tasting portion isn't o- isn't always everybody's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of try and we mostly just do it for our own our own sake, but Today is going to be a very French episode, so we, are, we will be doing lots of French things and drinking French wine and doing terrible French accents. C'est vraiment? And Alexa may be speaking actual French because she knows French.
1: Je parle un peu français.
0: Si. Bonjour, no.
1: So, simply put, what makes a French Bordeaux a Bordeaux is that it's produced in the region.
0: Uh-huh. So it has to
1: come from the region of Bordeaux. <laughs> yes,
0: okay. Much like champagne is technically only champagne if it comes from the Champagne region of France, made from champagne grapes.
1: Bordeaux style can be produced anywhere. Bordeaux style red blend may be used informally to describe red wines produced from a combination of Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Bordeaux, and to a lesser extent, Carmenere and Malbec.
0: Let us open this up. Uh, This is our first wine of the night. This is also 14.5% ABV. Wow, um,
1: we're going to be. Uh, this is going to be a fun <laughs> <feeling> episode. <that. laughs>
0: Very satisfying little pop there.
1: There's also a city called Bordeaux. It's the hub of the wine growing region. It's a port city on the Garonne River in southwestern France.
0: Oh, so this really is like this style of wine is also absolutely perfect for this episode. Yes. Wow. Yes.
1: So Toussaint is, as we've said before, directly inspired by France. It's a fairy tale duchy and we will be trying to keep the terms correct. It is not a kingdom, so it is like I guess a vassal of Nilfgaard like it's sort of independent it's sort of not it
0: it gets a little clearer in in the chapter as well and we'll we'll see why it makes a little bit more sense so
1: but what's also fun is it's really isolated from everything because it's in a valley it's like Mm -hmm. all of the mountains surround it so it's pretty much an island and they're insulated from everything going on in the world so as a result, our party, which is um, wintering in this fairy tale place, is insulated mm-hmm. from everything they've been experiencing the whole time. Yes,
0: yep, and we'll see how that plays out too. Um, yeah. But first, I think we might need to give this a sniff and a taste. I'm ready. Oh wow!
1: Wow, that's so fragrant.
0: It's super. So it's super spicy and super super oaky. It's like a flower shop in a den if that makes sense oh this is a 2019 vintage
1: i definitely get a lot of rich fruit notes like a plum a currant. yes yep but also like leather i can also get a little bit of like i feel like i can smell the soil <laughs> is that weird to no say?
0: no it, there's a lot of ter- terroir on this uh So terroir, French word of the day. We've used it a bunch of times before on the podcast, but for anyone that skips through our wine sections, it's the essence of the earthy regionality that is imbued into a thing.
1: It's why wines from different regions taste Mm -hmm. different a lot of times. So. Something that you get in Napa, even if it's different wineries, it's mm-hmm. usually going to have like sort of a familiar terroir. Mm-hmm. While we've really been enjoying Oregon wines, yeah, yep. which has a completely different terroir, um, mm-hmm. so this is going to be very different, of course, because it's grown in France.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, good example actually of, of trying to find that. If you've never, if you've never really feel like you've experienced that. Is uh, pick up like pick up a Riesling from California, um, like Southern California, Napa Valley, and then pick up a Riesling from uh, Oregon in the Willamette Valley. Um, They taste rather different, even though they're the same varietal, they're the same grape. Um, And it's it's entirely based on just the climate that they're grown in. So
1: should we taste this?
0: We probably should. So. A votre
1: santé, to your health. Oh,
0: okay. A or you can
1: also say à ta santé.
0: À santé. À ta santé.
1: I wonder if that's where he got Toussaint.
0: That makes sense. So, cheers. Cheers.
1: Oh, wow. So much cherry.
0: It's so fruity. Um, and but dry like, on yeah. the end. This um, is
1: really nice.
0: This is really, really nice. It's very, it's very fruity. Um, and you don't usually get that in a lot of like dry wines or like just red wines in general it's fruity and then it gives to a spicy dry tartness on the end um that's very very beautiful
1: yeah the finish is very different from most american wines
0: Mm, mm -hmm. yeah this is the yeah but the weird thing is that it has a it has a nose like an american wine honestly uh the front end of it is very very it, it tasted like a new york wine to me so I and I know I, I I'm a little biased in that regard, but it has that sort of like jamminess to it on the on the nose, a
1: little sour as well. Mm-hmm. That's probably the cherry as well because I, I get so much cherry and I got plum when I was sniffing it, but I think it was mm-hmm. probably a cherry in retrospect.
0: I mean, yeah, some type of red fruit. All right. Now that we've bored everyone out of, yes, out of their minds,
1: they, they've, are, they've already stopped on. listening.
0: <laughs> yes. Fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. They're still talking about wine. By so, the
1: way, we're covering chapter three of Lady of the Lake.
0: This is chapter three of Lady of the Lake, where we will be speaking entirely in omelette de fromage.
1: Oh, my gosh. Can you stop that bit now?
0: Omelette de fromage.
1: I feel like I'm getting spit on, even though we're like <laughs> we're far away from like each Like across other. the room. <laughs> Well, I'm really excited to talk about this chapter. A lot happens, mm-hmm. and I feel like we got to know a lot more about the characters. We've never really seen them relax. We've never seen yeah. them like at least not for more than, fun,
0: at least not for more than like a like a camp out kind of thing, like have like a big dinner together. But yeah.
1: So it's kind of nice to see the characters able to like, you know, smile and laugh and like talk to people and not be like running for their lives,
0: mm-hmm, which mm-hmm.
1: tells us more about the characters um, that we knew before, because before we only knew them in times of strife. So
0: Agreed, agreed. Um, There's a lot of cheeky shenanigans. Uh, Cheeky
1: is the right word.
0: Yes. (laughs) So do we want to move right into the long and the skinny? Short and the skinny? Tall and the long?
1: Right after I take a long sip of my wine. big,
0: big, you're just going to down the glass? Okay, cool.
1: Now I'm going to need to edit in some uh, French-sounding music here, but I'm going to do the reading from the top of the chapter.
0: A reading from the great eponymous poet Dandelion.
1: No matter how much he hurried, urged, Fumed and stormed, the witcher remained in Tucson almost the whole winter. What were the reasons? I shall not write about them. It is all over. There is no point dwelling on it. Anyone who would condemn the witcher, I would remind that love has many names and not to judge lest they themselves are judged. Dan Lion, Half a Century of Poetry.
0: Hey man, my boy was going through some shit. Don't be too hard on him. You know, we know some things now in retrospect, but, like, be cool about it, okay?
1: I think that's pretty much the message he was trying to get across here. (laughs) Yes. We pick up where we left off in Chapter 2, where a monster was attacking Geralt. So this monster attacks Geralt in the darkness. Geralt is able to dodge, and the monster misses him. This creature is described as having, like, bat ears.
0: It it kind of was described as having, like, the body of a turkey with, like, the wings of a bat and, like, the face of a vulture kind of thing, but also had, like, big ears like a bat. Um, It's it's kind of a wild-sounding thing.
1: So as the the creature is... Flying at him, Geralt is able to stab it directly and pretty much slices its body open. And the creature stumbles and it almost gets him, but he's able to knock it out. It's just sort of bleeding out on the floor, and Geralt realizes that he could finish the creature off, but he needs this one intact. So he just sort of waits until it bleeds to death and just pees while he's waiting. So Geralt picks up the creature. And um, it's way lighter than he thought it would be. He calls it a Kurlishek, and he thinks to himself it's a good thing that he's getting paid by the piece instead of the weight. Um, so we cut to Geralt showing the monster to his friend, a local knight, and we learn that his name is Reynard de Bois Fresne. And he's like, curiously, what is this? And Geralt explains that it's a Kurlishek. Or a cockatrice, um, a member of the ortho-repto family. These creatures are pretty much just chickens. Large, reptile chickens.
0: Big, flying, reptile, bat-chicken things.
1: And so the knight's like, so it's a basilisk. And Geralt's like, no, it's completely different. The cockatrice attacks from behind, aiming at the eighth vertebrae just behind above the left kidney, right towards the aorta. The knight asks, well, which of the two can fix a man with petrification by a single gaze? And Geralt says, neither, but the basilisk venom is one of the most toxic in the world, so you would die within moments. They discuss the value of the cockatrice, and Geralt points out that he can get 200, possibly more, for it, but the feathers on its butt are pretty valuable. Um, because they can be used by writers, and so he says that you can probably get like five ten a piece um so Reynard says that he has a client, so he can take this one intact, the Coopers Guild. Um, recently saw a large stuffed rare beast in a local castle and they wanted something of their own. So he says he's going to leave it intact, but they probably won't miss it if he plucks out a few feathers and Geralt compliments him on his shrewdness. And there's a little bit that's not important to the story, but Reinhardt says, there's a reason my mom named me after the fox in the story.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Reynard, um, so his name is Reynard with a T, but Reynard in French actually means fox. So I thought oh, his name is actually cute. pretty cute. So the men decide to ride back together and they're reminiscing about their friendship. Um, they've been friends for about two months, and Reynard is like, I like you a lot better this way. You've been smiling recently, um, you're not as gloomy as when I met you. And Geralt tells him, I like you better this way too. And so they reminisce about um, when they first rode to Beauclair, which is kind of the capital of Tucson. We cut to the two of them riding to Beauclair together with the rest of the party. And here he is still riding with the checkered knight that he met near the Druid Forest. And the checkered knight announces, Now my vows are fulfilled. Um, I vowed upon the back of a flying crane that I would slay 15 brigands by Yule. I've done it. and now I can drink, eat beef, and reveal my true name. And he introduces himself as Reynard de Bois Fresne.
0: The man that we've been talking to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so Angolem, who they're riding with, asks Reynard to repeat what is going on with. Um, Dandelion, who is also known as Viscount Julian. Reynard at first says it's an undignified to repeat rumor, but Angolem sort of begs, and Reynard is like, all right then. And he starts talking about what happened between Julian and the Duchess, Duchess Anna Henrietta, or Duchess Honorietta which I think is just a merging of her two first names, but yeah, <laughs> it yeah. could be just two variations of the same name.
0: Henrietta sounds just exceedingly French as well, so I think we might have to go with that one just on principle.
1: True. Very true. Reinhardt says that um, Dandelion arrived in Toussaint. He was playing his lute. Um, He was at the castle quite a while, Um, and eventually people started talking about this affair developing between him and Honorietta. They got involved when the Duke was um, traveling. He was in Sintra at the time, and they were involved for quite a few months, but Then Dandelion decided to hit the road after the rumor mill started and it was good that he did because the Duke came back and was immediately informed by a servant what happened and um, the Duke ordered Dandelion to be killed on sight. He very poetically wanted Dandelion's heart ripped from his chest and then fried and fed to the Duchess in front of the entire court. But his rage seized him um, in such a way that he came down with a case of apoplexy, which I think is basically a stroke.
0: It's a, it, Yeah, we looked it up uh, in one of the previous episodes. He had a stroke.
1: And he was bedridden for a year. And everyone's like, okay, so he died then. Well, no, he recovered. Um, but he always had this like perpetual winking face. Um, and as a result, he became even more popular with the ladies because all of the ladies thought he was flirting with them. And in the act... One day, he did die, and so everyone's nosy, and they're like, so he died on top of some girl, and Reynard is like, <clears throat> beneath one. May the soil lay lightly upon him. No one is really mourning him too much. He was an odious man who was never slow with the sentencing or, you know, slow to levy a finer attacks, and the people of Toussaint love the Duchess. So no one was crazy out there trying to avenge the cuckolding. And it sounds like he was very much not faithful to his wife. So
0: nobody was really upset when he passed.
1: Nope. Um, so they continue riding into the valley and it's absolutely beautiful. The sun stretches out over the mountains and throughout the sides of the valley and it illuminates the numerous grapevines that line the sides and rain art. Goes on to explain that the volcanic soil combined with an ecosystem, almost like Hawaii, makes for perfect growth conditions for wine and it's mixed with a love of the craft and a very experienced set of workers and it yields some of the best wine in existence. There's a number of wineries and wines produced in this area. Um, every wine you've ever heard of, including SS, which has been name checked in the um, preceding books, and, and and
0: the show, and the video game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, SS is the only. Uh, there's like two or three named wines that we've come across so far, but Est-Est is the one that keeps coming back.
1: In French, "est" is "is," so it's basically "is is," <laughs> which I think is kind of funny. Love it. Um, So he name-checks several vineyard names, um, but the only really important one that he brings up is Corvo Bianco, which, if you've played the Blood and Wine DLC of The Witcher 3, is the vineyard that Geralt inherits. So I just found that interesting that they pulled Mm, it exactly mm. from there. So like kind of scoffs at all of these expensive-sounding wines, and she says it sounds like, I should just avoid all of these when some shady barkeep pours me a glass and then you're forced to leave your horse with them because you can't pay. Um, I guess it's all well and good for noble lords, but as poor folk can get just as drunk on the cheap stuff as Est Est. After a while, um, it makes you vomit, just like scrumpy, which I don't think is a brand name, just a uh, general term for uh, gut. (laughs) No,
0: I want to think that there there is actually a brand out there or, like, actually a wine out there. I want to think that there's actually a wine out there called, like, Scrumpy. And, like, I mean, I'm going to start, like, calling, like, cheap shitty booze scrumpy now because like <laughs> I, it, it is it, like never do I get excited about like in a lot of fantasy works you come across like names they have for like fancy things but you very rarely get the like the names for like the real shitty things and it, it's a perfect uh, a capture of like cheap crappy wine like it reminds <laughs> me of like Alizé Or, like, Boone's Farm or Wild Irish Rose. Yes. (laughs) Um, And if you recognize any of those names, may God have mercy on your soul.
1: We cut back to um, Reynard and Geralt in the present, and Reynard has been teasing Geralt all night. Like, I'm sure you want to ride straight to Beauclair, back to a certain green eyed woman, and Geralt's like, "No, you know what? I want to get a drink." And so they go to a pub, and it's actually Christmas Eve. It's Yule Eve, yeah, and it's so Yule Eve. it's a time of celebration. Everyone's at the pub. Geralt's a little surprised by this, but Reynard is like, no, it's a festival. Everyone wants to go out drinking. So as they are seated, Reynard unbuckles his belt. He tells him, well, despite Anglem's complaints all the way back then, tonight we're going to drink well. Why not? We can afford it. We've just made a giant win on this contract, basically. We're selling this cockatrice. And Geralt says, why not? After all, as Dan's line always says, if there's another reason to make money, I haven't found it.
0: Mm, preach.
1: <laughs> um, as I mentioned, there's a lot of revelers in the tavern. And um, again, we're reminded that it's Yule Tide Eve. And there are several specials tonight. There's cold tongue with horseradish, capon broth with brain meat, meatballs, beef roulade with dumplings and cabbage, and Reinhardt says, well if we're eating beef we'll need a good wine to go with it, perhaps Cote du Blessure and the innkeeper says of course, but I'll need a vintage and Reinhardt says, maybe the year that the Duchess Caroberta turned her toes up, don't know what year that was but I guess it's a good one, and the innkeeper pulls the wine out they start drinking and Geralt and Reinhardt start talking about the past and they turn to how odd it is um that they're here two months later two months after meeting Geralt feels kind of regretful he feels like he's wasted two whole months after all he was supposed to be going after Siri. and what is he up to now a whole lot of nothing it seems Reinhardt is like, oh, no, it hasn't been two months wasted. It's really only one month if you think about it, since you wouldn't have even been able to get up the slopes for a whole month. So really, you can't do anything but stay here.
0: So once again, a little bit back to the geography here, because I kind of forgot to note it in the in the notes. The whole of Toussaint is in the bottom of a valley. Once it snows and and kind of every, you know, all the ice sets in and everything, you can't get up the sides of the mountains out of the valley. Consequently, nothing can get in either, but like everybody's basically, they're basically snowed in every single winter.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And there's like four mountain passes, but all of them are bad this mm-hmm. time of yep, year. Yep. Reynard is like, besides, you've been busy getting bewitched by a pair of emerald orbs. And he says, I even recall Kay here commenting the first time you laid eyes on her. So we have a flashback and all of them ride up to the Duchess's castle and everyone is gobstruck by the castle. It's an elven castle um that has been slightly modified for its current purpose and the walls were added later. After all, elves don't wall their cities, so Really, again, it's another elven city that's been modified by humans. So they ride through the city and they notice all of the wonderful sights and smells of winemaking, open spice markets, tree-filled parks. It mm-hmm. really is mm-hmm. a fairy tale city.
0: It sounds absolutely amazing. Um, and I hope to I hope to visit Toussaint someday, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know, maybe on some sort of psychedelic trip mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. We'll see.
1: So they approach the gates and um, they're greeted by dandelion who is cleaned and coiffured like a prince. Geralt asks about Milva and dandelion says she's well she's in your chambers and she doesn't want to leave them and Geralt asks why is that and he responds you'll find out soon. They are shuffled into the castle and are greeted by two women who are dressed very opulently and covered with lace and jewelry. Um, someone whispers behind Geralt that one of them is the Duchess of Toussaint And that he should take a bow. After the bow, Geralt looks at both of them. One is described as having a very elaborate hairstyle. Mm, A tower mm -hmm. of curls that's painstakingly put up. Um, She has a very pointy nose. And the other woman... She's modeled
0: after Marie Antoinette, isn't she? A little bit. Yeah.
1: And then the other one is... A woman who is also elegantly dressed but has close-cropped black hair. And Mm -hmm. Gerald wonders which one of them is Duchess Honorietta because they seem to be equal in style and class.
0: No, Catherine the Great. Yes.
1: Catherine the Great of Russia? Yes.
0: Okay. Very opulent, loved by the people. Okay. Dead king. All right. Yeah, yeah. I'll She's Catherine you. the Great. Yeah.
1: The woman with the uh, very elaborate chestnut hair greets him and says, Geralt, it's with the most pleasure that we greet you here today. Viscount Julian has regaled us with your entire story, and we are deeply sympathetic to your mission. However, matters of state have to be postponed for now because today is the last day of the grape harvest, and the festival of the vat must commence.
0: Oh no, that sounds so terrible. Let us not enjoy the festival of the last of the grape harvest.
1: And Geralt is like, ma'am. And someone cuts him off and says, it's actually your grace. And Geralt says, okay, pardon. As the two leave the room, an older man kind of reprimands Geralt for saying, ma'am. And he says, You must refer to her as your grace. Her full title is her enlightened ladyship. Her unofficial title is her grace and her familiar one is lady duchess. And Geralt asks, well, what about the other one? And he responds that that's the honorable Frangilla Vigo. You may address her as the honorable, but you may also address her as ma'am. The chamberlain, his name is Sebastian Le Goff. he says, you will serve her at the Festival of the Vat. And Geralt says, well, how am I serving her? And <laughs> Sebastian Le Goff explains that all of our wine these days is mechanically pressed out of the grapes. However, traditionally, and then we cut to the Festival of the Vat, and there's all sorts of people here, jesters, musicians, noble people, And they're all gathered around a vat of grapes raised up upon a platform at the middle of a courtyard. Um, If you've ever seen people stomping grapes, that's basically what this is.
0: I mean, okay. so one of the great videos on the great early archival videos of the early days of the Internet is, of course, the woman stomping grapes. I think it was somewhere in Washington, D.C., actually, Um, or it might have been Italy somewhere. But. This lady's stomping grapes. Traditionally, they're in the big vat and like she just like her feet just go completely out from under her and she just goes she like stops the fall with her face like like off this like six foot tall platform. She was fine, but yeah, it was it was one of the early videos of the internet.
1: So, if that woman had had an escort, maybe that wouldn't have happened. I so think that's
0: probably why they have escorts in all honesty. The idea
1: is that these escorts, which in this case are, um is Count Julian or Dandelion assigned mm-hmm. to Duchess Honorietta, and Geralt assigned to Fringilla Vigo. The idea is they place them in the vat and pick them up so they don't slip.
0: I thought they all got in with into the vat with them. No. Oh, that makes sense. I was going to say traditionally, though, like, I think they would all get in and link arms so that you could kind of, like, support each other. But
1: And so Geralt is um, just sort of watching all of this commotion, and someone suddenly shouts, let the ladies step forward. And two ladies step forward, and they're the women from before, but they're wearing these crimson capes, and then suddenly... Someone shouts, Let the youth step forward. And uh, the youths, in uh, quotation marks, big quotation marks, (laughs) (laughs) Um, who had previously been given instructions are Geralt and Dandelion. And so the four step up onto the platform. The ladies begin to stomp the grapes, and um, juice erupts from between their toes. It's all very sexual.
0: There's there's basically like this entire chapter is like nothing but like sexual tension.
1: Yes, and let me not forget to mention that they're wearing just tiny little like underclothes, like white tops that show their midriffs and mm-hmm. white shorts. Mm-hmm. So Geralt is absolutely fascinated by Fringilla right away. Of
0: course, yeah.
1: And um
0: he may or may not have a thing for sorceresses, but you know, mommy issues whatever.
1: So he picks her up out of the vat and he could have sworn that her lips brushed his ear, but he couldn't really tell. It does seem like Frangilla and Geralt are having a connection at this point. So um, back at the tavern or pub, Reynard and Geralt are eating and um, everyone is getting pretty drunk because it's Christmas Eve, as I said. And um, they are all engaging in a tradition of using an apple peel to divine the first letter of your true love's name. I don't know if you can picture what an apple peel looks like when it's um, intact and whole, but basically, every time they throw it on the ground, it just forms an S. Which not anything super more great than that. as
0: a means of divination <laughs> if it always lands on S
1: but it's tradition. They reminisce about what happened next. It turns out that Milva refused to leave her chambers because she had been provided a dress to wear and Milva's not about that life. Regis, however, cited numerous traditions and protocols and was able to get the staff to provide her with a pair of trousers and a shirt, uh, men's clothes that Milva felt comfortable wearing. And um, Anglem, meanwhile, was very excited about the dress she was provided after being able to bathe and everything. Everyone is very excited about being able to bathe because I suspect they weren't bathing very often on the road. So Geralt and Raynard at the tavern um, are approached by the clients that they're selling this cockatrice to. What's very curious is that one of the winemakers is joined by a rival vineyard owner. Reynard is like, looks like we have more business. And so um, the winemakers ask, has the monster been killed? And Geralt shows him the corpse of the cockatrice. And they thank him and state that the agreed upon funds will be transferred to his account at Cimfinelli's um, by tomorrow at the latest they also mention that the rival winemaker has a problem um, he hasn't been able to use his cellars because of a monster and no one has really ever explored the caves fully so maybe that's something that Geralt can do for him um, and Geralt says yeah for a fee I can definitely do that and so the men also are like yeah one other thing I know that you've been hired to kill that succubus that's been plaguing the town but really the succubus isn't doing any harm it would be really best if you just left the succubus alone Geralt is like I don't know I was hired you're kind of uh, besmirching my honor here they're like no no we would never do that and Geralt's like well if you just happen to uh you know surprise me with your generosity at the uh, witcher's retirement fund I might be able to look the other way and they're like yes yes of course we'll astound you with the our generosity and Geralt is like yes just keep in mind I'm not easily astounded um, and so they all leave they um, agree that Geralt is going to do the contract um, and that um, they'll go their separate ways for now um, and Reynard is like Okay, so I see you're getting pretty savvy after all. Um, So the tables next to them are loudly trying to um, make some prophecy out of soup bones. Raynard says, It's funny that after that one contract, the contracts kept rolling in. Now you can't keep the customers away. I can't remember which vineyard gave you the first contract. And Geralt says, You weren't there. It was during our first audience with the Duchess. So That's the (laughs) flashback noise. Oh, thanks for that. You're welcome. So we cut to the first private audience with the Duchess after meeting her that one time. Private is in quotation marks because there's a lot of people, like 20 to 30 people, a lot of different Chamberlains, a lot of different servants, Viscount Julian slash Dandelion, Duchess Honorietta, after being told by Geralt everything that had happened to this point, squeezes dandelion's arm in excitement and says that the kingdom of toussaint is at your service stay as long as you want um we stayed in Sintra for um we stayed in Sintra many times we were friends with pavetta we adored little siri Our scholars, libraries, and astronomers are at your disposal, our knights have routed your pursuers, and anyone who would chase you over the borders will be met with the same fate. While you're here, though, there is also a creature haunting the men of the town, performing horribly lewd acts that I will not repeat in good company. Your talents would be most useful. Slay this monster and I will make it worth your while. Geralt says, well, with all due respect, Your Grace, um, we're kind of in a hurry. Adern fell in 20 days, and there's a swath of bloodshed across the Aruga. Duchess Honorietta is like, no, we've been assured by Emir that the war is over. And uh, Geralt's like, "Uh, it's very much not over. And Duchess Honorietta goes into a fit like, what? We wrote a strongly worded letter, and the war is still going on? She pretty much scolds the entire staff and says that um, you guys didn't tell me about this. Why didn't you tell me about it? Write a letter to our cousin Amir right away and tell him that this will not be accepted. Geralt makes a mental note to always just say yes to her in the future and not give her any understanding of what's going on on the outside. Honorietta says, see Geralt, your fears are unfounded. Um, you can stay here as long as you like, and Geralt's like, "Yes, your grace." She's like, "And you'll take care of the succubus for us," and Geralt says, "Yes, your grace." So we cut to Angel M walking up on Regis and Geralt, who are talking quietly in the courtyard, and Angel M says, "You'll never believe this. There's a line of knights errant out of the royal coffers." I asked Reynard what they were doing there and he says they have a monthly salary and Geralt and Regis both shrug indifferently. Geralt is like so that's pretty common just run along and keep Milva company stop trying to create scandals. Milva's been in a dreadful mood lately. Anglem says I don't understand. Knights Aaron are supposed to be out roaming not collecting a salary. Oh fine I'll go tend to auntie. And then after Anglem leaves, two knights quietly walk up to Geralt and Regis and they request a private audience with Geralt. Geralt says, I have no secrets from Regis, but Regis is like, please, I'll just go over there for a while and check out that charming little gazebo. The men start by saying, Master Witcher, we have a proposal regarding the specter that haunts the men around this town. Since it doesn't really hurt anyone and it only haunts some people and no children... We wonder if you might just be able to look the other way about the succubus. We understand that the Duchess and the ladies have made a considerable offer. I think that we can make it worth your while if you don't take them up on that and keep quiet about it, of course. And Geralt says, well, that's interesting. I bet the Duchess would be very upset by the fact that you're proposing this at all. Um, And they're like, oh, wait, like, we didn't mean it like that. We'll definitely make it worth your while. Geralt says, well, perhaps if an account is opened in my name at a local dwarven bank and an impressive amount of money is to find its way into it, I might be persuaded, but understand I'm not exactly easily impressed. And um, they say, we can arrange that. Farewell, Master Witcher. And so Regis returns after he knows the knights are gone. And Regis says, so you made a big deal about saying we would be out of here soon, but um, you seem to be setting up roots and business pretty nicely. And Geralt says, well, you know, perhaps we might spend a week or two here, maybe a month or two. Would it be such a bad thing to make a profit and gain some financial independence? Um, so we see that Geralt is kind of sliding into being comfortable in Toussaint. So we cut back to Reynard and Geralt at this tavern, and Reynard says, Well, well, if the Duchess were to find out about that bank account, there might be a reshuffling of nobles. Maybe a promotion for me. Too bad I'm not an informant. But tell me about this feast that you were invited to that was so spectacular. They sent me to the guard tower for duty that weekend. Um, You can just tell that he was so excited about that. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah,
0: nobody wants to go on guard duty on the the weekend of the big festival.
1: And Geralt says, Well, first we had to find Milva, who had hidden herself in the stable, and convince her that Ceres and the world's fate depended on getting her into a dress and in attendance to this dinner. So we cut to Geralt, who is talking with Chamberlain LeGoff, and Chamberlain says... Um, I need to know the, the ranking of your party members. And Geralt's like, What do you mean? Like, we're all equal. And the Chamberlain says, Well, um Viscount but, but some
0: people are more equal than others. <laughs> we know this.
1: So the Chamberlain says, Well, Viscount Julian has informed us that you're all traveling under a clandestine mission but you can't be like of the same birth. There has to be some that are bougier than others. It would be improper for us not to seat you accordingly. And Geralt says, ah, okay, I see. The best ranked one of us all has to be Regis. He's a count, but don't talk about it. And the Chamberlain looks like absolutely stunned. Like, oh my gosh, I had no clue. He says, I'll place him next to Countess Naterna, the aunt of the Duchess. He goes on to say, you will be placed next to Lady Frangilla Vigo as she was, um, as you were her escort to the festival of the Vat. Melva will be placed here and Kay here will be placed here, but basically it doesn't really matter where they're sitting. Um, and Regis who is busy staring at a tapestry while they're talking, um, remarks to the Chamberlain that the cyclops's feet look kind of weird like he has two left feet and uh Sebastian Legoff the Chamberlain says yes we got the absolute finest artist you'll find a lot of tapestries from him here so talented but he did like to drink
0: <laughs> he he liked to booze it a little bit <laughs> so hence the cyclops has two left feet
1: He can't dance, that's for sure.
0: Wait, what's my excuse then?
1: So we cut back to our tavern with Reynard and Geralt, and Geralt says, okay, let's pay, and I've got to get back to Beauclair. Reynard is like, I know your game. It's barely midnight. Your green-eyed lady will still be there. I want to hear what happened next at the feast. And Geralt says, well, come on, we'll ride and talk. And so we cut back to the feast, and um, there's a fantastic spread containing every kind of game you can imagine. So it's the end of fall, so we're getting that reflected in the meal. There's roast Cornish hen.
2: Roast there's aspics, a lot of aspics, lots and
0: lots of aspics. Basically, it's a, it's a it's a Thanksgiving type festival where there's you know there there's game fowl and and. Uh, and venison and and goat and suckling pigs and it's a medieval feast honestly
1: um so yeah there's a lot of game a lot of food and the centerpiece of this whole thing is a full sturgeon and a bed of carrots cut into the shape of roses all with a roast heron
0: standing i read it like three times it's standing it's roasted standing continue Okay. Because it gets weirder.
1: So there's a roast heron standing on this bed of sturgeon um, Mm -hmm. with a gold ring held in its upraised beak.
0: Yep. So it is a roasted heron. Roasted. So it's plucked, Mm -hmm. cooked, with its feet on, standing. So it's been propped up somehow uh, onto the back of this. So a sturgeon, first off, I would like to say is an exceedingly endangered fish. Um, if you're, if you've never seen one, look, look them up on Google images. They're wild looking. They look like dinosaurs, exceedingly endangered, but they very often get to be like 12 to 15 feet long. Um, they're freshwater fish. They kind of look like a weird cross between a shark and a dolphin. So like, and like with like a little bit of alligator thrown in. So they're really wild looking, uh, supposedly delicious caviar with a heron on its back standing. It has feet, uh, with a gold ring in its beak. So it has its head. And it's upturned. So somehow they roasted this heron and got it into a pose of some way.
1: I'm guessing that there has to be like stakes there, involved. Th- yes, there's like, got to be
0: like wires in it or something. I, yep.
1: I don't know how it'd be standing upright on its own.
0: So, I mean, this does, um, slight quick tangent here. This does kind of track, though, for a lot of like medieval style feasts. Basically, they would very often just take, like, one of the exotic things that they could get within the region, but, like, kind of rare-ish that was still edible... And then just do something fucking crazy with it. <laughs> like, if you ever read, like, any, like, medieval, like, recipe guides or anything like that, there th- that's basically it. it. was just, like, what if we took a small bird and shoved it inside a bigger <laughs> bird and then put that in a bigger, bigger bird? Yeah. Like, like, how outlandish can we make this? But it's not really, like, outlandish in, like, its preparation or, like, the style or, like, what we think of as outlandish because we have, like uh, – sourcing of ingredients is not an issue for the modern chef. Um, So like you can make anything out of anything. So like getting things is not hard. So like you just kind of make wild things with wild ingredients. Medieval times. It was a lot of just like, what can we do? That's really fucking outlandish with the things that we have.
1: Yeah, that that does make sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it, it's not like wild in what it is; it's wild in what they did with it.
1: Yeah, like I'm not usually a proponent of whatever PETA is advocating against, but PETA might have had that, some points with this. He, they might
0: have been a little right on that one. That that feels really disrespectful. <laughs> like I'm I'm a I'm a pretty big meat eater, but like yeah, that 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 feels gross. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Um, so many of the knights are swearing upon this heron um, so they shout out really dumb sounding vows like one guy says um, I'm going to be blindfolded until I kill like 20 men.
0: Mm-hmm. I will place a blindfold upon my face and it will not be removed until all of the 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 huns are cleared out of yes. the, the something <laughs> or other valley and, and you're just like oh okay. Um, all right. Cool. Good Weird for you. flex
1: but okay. Um, so Fringilla, who is seated next to Geralt, um, is immediately sort of needling Geralt a little bit in a flirtatious manner. Um, she says that he has only just now paid her a compliment. And Glenn, meanwhile, is noticing the rounded point that the knives have. And she's like, what the hell is this? Are they afraid we're going to start stabbing each other? And Fringilla comments... These knives have been used for over 500 years in Toussaint. The Duchess of the time had gotten fed up with guests picking their teeth after meals. And so Geralt says to Fringilla, you're a sorceress, aren't you? And Fringilla is like, yeah, like, how did you know? And Geralt says, well, I can sense the aura. She's like, well, to be quite clear, I have no obligation to let everyone know my profession or put on a pointed hat or a black cloak. I just prefer to sort of remain anonymous. And she explains that she's in Beauclair because it has the largest best-stocked library around and they're not stingy about who has access to it. And she reminds him that he probably will find some clues in the books there. You should definitely visit the library. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Uh, That definitely doesn't foreshadow something that happens later. He is very cagey with his answers to her. And she sort of gets offended and says... "'You don't trust me, do you? "'You don't believe me that I, like, "'really want the best for you and your mission.'" And she says, like, "'You're really wounding my ego here.'" And, like, he tries to apologize, and she says, "'Well, I can't stand men who apologize.'" And um, he's like, "'Well, what kind of men can you bear?' She says, "'Well, I find manliness is just amounts of class "'and recklessness mixed in the proper amounts.'" and suddenly many revelers burst in announcing the magna bestia and several revelers start to carry in something roasted on a large throne. Um, and it's a giant, absolutely giant roast. Someone asks what type of beast it is. Um, she won't have any until she knows. And so Milva comments, um, it's an elk 700 weight with a beautiful six point rack and the quiet Baron who's sitting next to her who hasn't said anything all night says 740. He, like, seems a little bit impressed by Milva's knowledge, and Geralt, like, sees that there might be a connection between the two, so he sort of tries to set them up a little bit. And so Geralt asks if the Baron was the one who felled it, and he awkwardly says that it was his son-in-law, and he's a magnificent archer, but I'm not going to talk any more of it because archery talk is often boring to women. And Milva turns to him and says, well, what bo- kind of bow did he use? And the Baron describes that it was a laminate of ewe and ash, 75 inches. And Milva says, I'm assuming it had to be at least a 70 pound draw. And the Baron is so fascinated that Milva knows all of this. And he continues very confused at this point, 82 with a 30 inch pole. And Milva says, wow, a veritable arbalist." And the Baron says, yes, but it can fell a stag from 100 paces, and it could hit a pheasant at 25. Milva brags, I can hit a squirrel from 50. And several other revelers and performers come in at this point. Angolem, who has been um, entertaining all of the men in the court, is... Very frustrated when a bear comes in at some point with a handler and the bear poops on the floor, which takes a lot of attention away from her. Geralt is complaining to Frangilla about having stayed too long in Toussaint. He's being very sarcastic about the many knights that are vowing on the heron. He's like, "Um, oh yeah, I bet like all of my pursuers are going to be scared shitless by some blindfolded knights. And Frangilla says, well, like you really should sort of respect Toussaint. I mean, after all, Toussaint provides wine, and without wine, there is not life. Frangilla is like, since you seem to be so intent on leaving, you should know that one of my informants has been spreading the rumor um, that Geralt was burned in the Wicker Woman by the Druids. Folco Artevelde thinks that you're dead. He's been spreading that rumor, and even if it turns out he's incorrect in assuming that you're dead and he finds out that, he doesn't really have any reason to share that you're alive so as you can see you're safe um plus where are you even going to go like what pass are you going to escape from there's been no sign of that elf that you met and Geralt's like oh so you do know a great deal maybe too much he doesn't say that part out loud but we are reading it loud and clear
0: he was thinking it pretty loud
1: And uh, the Baron next to Milva is talking her ear off now. He's been serving her, pouring her wine, giving her food. And he's like, you've got to come to my property sometime. We can hunt together. And Milva's like, um, I don't know. We're like getting on the road pretty soon. And like the Baron's face falls a little bit. He seems a little sullen and... Milva is just looking at Geralt and and then she's like, you know what, though? I I probably have time to come over to your house sometime. And that was pretty cute. Um, And the Baron says, I'm not good at courtliness. I tend to sit in silence. I'm no good at these things. And Milva grabs a glass of wine and downs it in one gulp and says, I was raised in the forest. I revere silence.
0: She's got a little crush. She's got a little <laughs> crush. Of course, it's an archer.
1: Yes, of course. Um, so we cut to Geralt and Raynard once again leaving the tavern. Um, well, they already left the tavern, but anyway. Um, so we cut to Geralt and Rainart um who are riding. And um Rainart says that he's going to leave Geralt there. Um he says he's not going to Beauclair tonight. Um, He doesn't really say where he's going. He just leaves, and Geralt thinks to himself that um, he knows that uh, Reinhardt has a girlfriend in town that has a husband, and he likes to visit when the husband is not in town. Um, But it's not his business, because I guess men don't talk about these things. So Geralt continues to reminisce about what happened next. So we cut back to later at the party, and um, they are... Uh, that we got to after the party and breakfast the morning after aka the hangover breakfast and um, they're eating in the servants hall as they prefer food is always found for them there and it's delicious food it's like bacon and bread with drippings and all the wine you can drink I mean it sounds amazing
0: breakfast wine which I
1: I haven't tried but sounds good
0: maybe some dessert kind of wine yeah I mean mimosa basically
1: Yeah, Um, so the party talks about, like, what's going on with Dandelion these days anyway? I guess they're just waiting on him hand and foot and feeding him in bed. He never joins them for breakfast, I guess. And um, Geralt decides that this is the day that he's going to investigate exactly what's going on with Dandelion. Um, So he finds him strumming his lute in the knight's hall, and he sees no sign of the duchess, and Geralt just walks in toward him, breaking protocol. Dandelion shoos his staff away. And, of course, there are 20 people around him at all times and all waiting to, you know, hand him his wine or whatever he wants. Um, And so it's just Geralt and Dandelion now. And uh, Geralt sort of sarcastically says, well, 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 like, look who we have here. I guess you're a real king now. And Dandelion is really offended right away and comments like, you know, like, my people aren't schlubs or anything. We descend from high nobility. Um, anyway, like, what do you want? Are you coming here, like, for any particular reason? And Geralt says that they will likely need several horses and several mules to continue on. He wants to know if the Duchess would be willing to provide that. And Dandelion says it won't be a problem. Of course she will. But You'll,
0: you'll be fitted with a fast stallion chestnut in coat named Roach.
1: Of course it's named Roach. Yeah um Dandelion knows him after all and um Dandelion says but I'm not coming with you. And Geralt is really offended by this and he's like so you're just going to stay here and just expect that you're going to what? Get married to the Duchess, be here forever. And Dandelion is like well you're just jealous. She loves me. We're going to get married. And Geralt's like well what happens when the Duchess suddenly decides she doesn't want to be with you anymore.
0: What happens when she gets bored?
1: Plus, only in fairy tales do musicians marry duchesses. And Dandelion is like, you know what? We're not friends anymore. And they part very, very angrily. He even has a really biting comment about like, you know, when I joined you and broke on, lawn, I knew we were going on a suicide mission. I knew there was no point and I didn't ever say that to you. And now look, I found exactly what I wanted and you're being such an asshole about it. So he kind of has a point, but Geralt also has a point as well. He's just As always, really not great at delivering it.
0: He's not so good with the tact.
1: No. So Geralt, after getting in this fight with Dandelion, approaches Fringilla in the library. And Fringilla is among piles of books. And she's wearing a modest gray dress that um, is hitched up slightly for convenience. But that's like absolutely the sexiest thing that Geralt could see at this moment oh
0: absolutely he's
1: very into this and Frangilla says I ordered everyone else out of the library since I can't stand the eyes of strangers on me while I work and Geralt says well I can go if you'd like and Frangilla says well you're not a stranger and I don't mind your eyes on me
0: guys guys I just I just need to watch this to see if she gets her plumbing fixed (laughs) I swear, <laughs> I swear I just need to see if the pizza gets delivered, okay?
1: Um can you do some like porn music like
0: 70 um, <laughs> All right, that's enough. Bow, 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 um, bow, bow, um, bow, bow.
1: um she's described as um smelling like a combination of her normal scent of like roses and ambergris and like old books and rat poison that they use to the, kill the rats in the, the library strict
0: nine that she used to kill the rats in the library but which,
1: Geralt is like totally into this for
0: some reason Geralt is really into
1: And um, Frangilla points out that Geralt's expression is more sour than usual. Geralt says, Yeah, well, something happened before this. And Frangilla is like, Tell me. And she He tells her all about what happened with Dandelion, or excuse me, um, Viscount Julian. He tells her that Dandelion really got under his skin, and Fringilla is like, well, you know, the Duchess has been exhibiting signs of lovesickness in the past several months. Geralt is like, yeah, I don't believe in love, actually, and and Fringilla is like, why don't you believe in love? Then they just kind of get really close. Geralt kisses her and uh, first of all Geralt puts his mouth on and then he rams her
0: she kind of grabs on to the
1: and then he puts a book on Uh,
0: yeah and the book has like a bronze spline but we don't really know where he put the book but she squealed
1: Yeah, and then
0: there was a lot of
1: and then her Are around his Geralt unleashes a Powerful
0: No Geralt never Came
1: How do we know that
0: (laughs) It's no He very very obviously didn't Because like still going Like so What what if he can just
1: orgasm Like maybe part of his like Witcher abilities is recovering Really really
0: fast Oh man, maybe Lucky it's just like, bastard.
1: like a mini gun.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> God, that's horrifying. So after all of that, both of them are hesitant waiting for the other one, hoping that they'll ask that they might be able to pretend find a bed somewhere. Yeah,
1: Frangilla doesn't want to be seen as that kind of girl. She doesn't
0: she's not that kind of girl.
1: And luckily, Geralt suggests finding a bed.
0: So Doing it in a library somehow doesn't make you that kind of girl, but doing it on the on a bed does.
1: I have no idea. Like, I, what I'm, her, I'm not understanding her that logic here at is. all. It is a little cheeky because there is like all these books, and we are told the titles of books as they oh, are yeah. doing things to each other. Um, <laughs> which is it? It's very funny. Like this does remind me a lot of The Last Wish when mm-hmm. Geralt and Yennefer met for the first time mm-hmm. and um, like it's kind of hokey
0: which is really nice because and you and I talked about this a little bit for whatever reason like at least me personally like I have no problem watching like a graphic sex scene on like a, a movie or a TV show like it doesn't seem weird it's not really that like upsetting or bothersome Um, but for whatever reason like reading like a a graphic sex scene is kind of uncomfortable. Um, and I think it's because it's so much more like intimate, like there's no one else. Like when you're watching some, you're watching a movie and like a really nasty sex scene comes on and you're just like, okay, well there's other people in the room here with me. This isn't weird. Like this is just part of the story that's being told. But like when you're reading it yourself, you're like, I'm the only audience here. (laughs) I feel like some sort of weird leering pervert who's looking in through the windows right now. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And like, I will say that we usually don't get a description of the sex itself. Like, no, it usually usually cuts away. Very like, um, couch language or. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of the basics. It usually isn't like a blow by blow. What Mm -hmm. happened? Um, it was dirty. Never mind. Um, it's usually not um, as thorough as this, so mm-hmm. I think it was all in service of this big like book pun that Onsay. The book puns were great. Um, they were
0: f- absolutely fantastic. Like
1: Geralt was at point at some points like reading the descriptions of the books, yes. or thinking them. So Geralt at some point was like reading the descriptions and the titles of books and like. He's doing this like while he had like his hands on her and while While they were doing doing stuff stuff. they were landing on books I mean it's pretty funny but
0: it's it's really nice because it does kind of break the weird it breaks the fourth wall just a little bit so it makes you feel like less of like a weird leering pervert while you're reading
1: it it does it does Um, There is like a little section in the present day with Geralt that I wanted to read like somewhat Mm -hmm. verbatim because I think it gives a little hint as to the future of Geralt and Fringilla's relationship. Mm -hmm. And so Geralt says in the present day, um, we found a bed in the alcove in her chambers. We made love like mad things, voraciously, greedily, ravenously, as though following years of celibacy, as though storing it up for later, as though at risk of celibacy again. We told each other many things, we told each other very trivial truths, we told each other very beautiful lies, but those lies, although they were lies, weren't calculated to deceive. We made love, and talked, and our lies became more and more mendacious.
0: Okay, can you define mendacious for me?
1: Mendacious, and mendacity... Do you know what mendacity means?
0: I can't say that I know what the root of the word means. So
1: lies but. and liars. Um, <laughs> okay. It's, it's from um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, Tennessee okay. Williams. Okay. If you haven't watched that movie, it's with uh, Paul Newman so, and Elizabeth so Taylor. So the lies
0: became more lie-like? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha.
1: More dishonest. Um,
0: okay. Okay. That works.
1: Geralt, um, upon arriving back at Beauclair... Um, moves quietly within the castle. He comes up to the servants' hall where all of the gang eats their meals and the rest of the party is talking to each other. Anglem is saying there's some sort of bewitchment all over this place. Dandelion um, doesn't surprise me. Like the the behavior of Dandelion doesn't surprise me. Geralt's behavior doesn't even surprise me. But I've been nauseous and I have this pit in my stomach. Something's wrong here. Like even though it's really fun, there's something wrong. Like something that makes us forget about like whatever else we're doing. Melva says, "Yeah, you should talk to Gerald about it." So Englem says, "Oh yeah, I'll bring it up to him." Between the two activities he's engaging in all the time, um, including the one person he's spending all this time with, um, and maybe Kay here can do it. After all, he's been spending so much time with the Baron's daughters, or maybe Auntie can do it um, with her tight-lipped Baron. And Milva is like, I know that I've told you again and again. I don't like it when you call me auntie. And Regis is like, now, now, let's not fight. Um, But Anglem is right. We should all talk to Geralt about leaving. And Geralt never lets them know that he's here. He just sulks quietly and unnoticed out of the room and continues down the halls silently. Um, We get this little exchange about...
0: Hot soapbox second... Okay. Regis would have heard him.
1: But maybe he knew. Like, <laughs> But maybe he knew he was there.
0: Okay, maybe it's not important. But, like, we've, we've seen commentary in other scenes where, like, Regis can hear a man's heartbeat from, like, a hundred paces away.
1: I feel like Regis is the kind of friend who will know, like, when Geralt is, like, ready to reveal himself. So maybe mm. he did sense he was there. He just didn't want to call him out. Like, because... Yeah, yeah. That would sort of be like an ambush. Yeah. And Geralt just wasn't ready to talk about it.
0: Yeah, that's true. Anyways, but either way, yeah, okay, I'm done.
1: And so Geralt walks down the hallway down this corridor, we get this um artistic little aside about all these rats in the hallway know him because he's been back and forth so many times. This is a this is a path he takes like pretty much every single night. Um, and he gets to Frangilla's chambers and she opens her door. Um, the chamber smells of roses and ambergris and women's sleep, um, which, you know, your guess is as good as mine on what that smells like. Um, and she tells him, um, she actually isn't sleeping even though she's in bed. She tells him to immediately undress and to come get in bed with her very, very quickly. Uh, they end up having a whole bunch more of sex, um, which you can probably imagine. A
0: whole lot of sex.
1: So after Geralt is very, very asleep, Fringilla does some walking down the corridor of her own. And Mm. the rats are also not surprised because apparently this is a path she takes very often. Mm. And she stands at this one... um, it is a normal-looking part of the wall, but... It's the
0: Chamber of Requirements from Harry Potter.
1: It opens because it's actually R- an illusion, and it's yeah. protecting a another corridor, and uh, not very many people know that it's here. Basically, only Fringilla and um, her great-uncle, or I think it was just her uncle, her uncle, who was once a mage here, knows that it's here. It was originally built by the elves, so...
0: There was like a page and a half describing like how she was the only one that knew how that this chamber, this Not even like the Chamberlain was there. knows. Like, but okay, long story short, she's the only one that knows this This place is here.
1: Yes. And so um, she enters this very, very secret room that has a megascope in it with several other women teleprojected onto it or into it or whatever the... Um, appropriate what, Whatever is. Whatever
0: the megascope does. Um,
1: <laughs> it, it definitely megascopes. Mm-hmm. We can say that for sure. Mm-hmm. And so they they have this magical Zoom call yet again. And it's like, you know, eight boop members boop. of the lodge. Boop. And Philippa says, greetings, Frangilla. What's new? And Frangilla says, nothing, unfortunately. Not since the last telecommunication. Not even an attempt at scanning. And Philippa says, that's too bad. We had counted on you discovering something please at least tell us, has the Witcher calmed down at all with his wanting to go and rescue Siri and shit? Like, will you at least be able to keep him there until May? And Fringilla doesn't respond for a minute. Um, she doesn't want to tell the law a lie. She also doesn't want to reveal that in the last week alone, the Witcher has said the name Yennefer at moments that Fringilla had every right to expect her own name to be called, which uh, uh, um, can, this this is a moment we at actually feel a little bad for Fringilla. I won't say that very often, um,
0: at least twice in the last week,
1: but it is a little funny. Um and the the lodge um is waiting for her answer and Fringilla says, No, I probably can't keep him here until May, but I'll do everything in my power to keep him here as long as possible.
0: Maybe even that one thing that nobody ever talks about that they're willing to do. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe.
1: <laughs> and seen.
0: And seen. So a whole mess of sex.
1: This was a very sex-heavy chapter. This was
0: a very sex-heavy chapter.
1: Maybe the most sex-heavy chapter
0: Actually, we've I, ever I th- had. I think it might be. I think it really might be. And like I, so I'm still, I'm still in the weeds on the the scene with the the brass-studded book binding, and he put it somewhere, and Frangilla squealed.
1: I don't want to talk
0: about Carol <laughs> cheating on mom. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's true.
1: Like we're all complicit now. You realize that, right? Uh,
0: maybe. I mean, I'm still not going to call her mom.
1: I mean, she's new mom. Yeah. But it sounds if, like Carol's if, if a little he, if she hung comes up on at me, mom. I will
0: if she comes at me, I will drop her.
1: I I just feel very weird about this. <laughs> like it's like I mean, I don't hate Fringilla, but I hate her a little, you know? Well,
0: yeah.
1: So, okay. But I mean, like. If I'm going to bring it down a little bit. Okay. Then we're going to bring it down a notch. Okay. Geralt is not attached to Yennefer at the moment. This is true. Technically.
0: (sighs) But we all know what's coming.
1: (sighs) Like, it's. He did nothing wrong he did. technically, he except being in Toussaint for like two months when he really should have been doing more important things. I'm not
0: going to lie, that did sound pretty great, though. It did I'm, sound
1: I'm, pretty fun. I pretty mean, fun. he's getting a lot of money for a lot of not sex. killing succubuses. Um,
0: <laughs> a lot of money. He's, a lot of sex. Uh,
1: getting a lot of contributions to the Witcher Retirement yep. Fund. Um, sounds like he's getting a lot of sex, yes. Um, and you know what? I'm a little happy for Geralt that he's at least smiling a little bit. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he deserves to be happy. But we also know Frangilla a bit of a snake. Like mm, not just mm. because, you know, he's sleeping with her
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: and she's not Yennefer and we're never going to accept someone who's not nope. Yennefer.
0: How dare you stand where she stood? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, it's because she's also trying to keep him mm-hmm. in Toussaint. Yeah. For, like, and we don't know this till the very end. We can probably guess since she's a member of the Lodge. But the reason she's trying to keep him here and sort of guilting him into it and giving him reasons is because it's in the Lodge's best interest for him to stay in Toussaint until May. Correct. So, she really is a snake.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Does she really even have feelings for Geralt?
1: You know, that's a good question. And it's one that... I don't think we have all the information right now.
0: I think we might have a little bit more information after some more French ass wine.
1: Sounds good. Should we get that Omelette French-ass de fromage? Wine? fromage. Oh my God.
0: Omelette de fromage.
1: Je voudrais un boisson.
0: Omelette de fromage. Well,
1: let's get a drink. Let's have a nightcap. Um, <laughs> well, what are we drinking tonight, drummer?
0: Omelette du fromage. Omelette du fromage. I'm Chateau not sure. Chateau La Fleur de Boyarde.
1: Can, can I pronounce this as well? Maybe. Okay.
2: Okay.
0: So tonight we are drinking uh, for our, our main feature. Um, we are drinking Chateau La Fleur de uh, uh Chateau
1: La Fleur de Boyarde. Boyarde.
0: I'm not so good with the umlauts.
1: No, it's not, well,
0: I'm not, so good with are not a,
1: a big feature in the French language, but um, the R sound is very, uh, so, okay. or it's soft. So,
0: so. Chateau La Fleur de Boyard. No, no
1: you, you don't have to do it
0: like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Some French-ass wine.
1: <laughs> all right, then. Go all out.
0: Um, uh, Chateau La Fleur de... La, La Fleur. La Fleur. Delicate. La Fleur.
1: La Fleur. La Fleur. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting worse.
0: <laughs> de Boyard. Um, it is a 2015 uh, La Lande de Palmeiro? Pomerol. 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 Hubert de Boyard de Lambert. I'm assuming that's a person's name. <laughs> um. This was imported by Dropping Wines in Mansfield, Massachusetts. I'm going to attempt to read the label. It is very dark. It is three-point font on a black label with gold lettering.
1: All right. This is a gold, big Gold challenge. script
0: lettering. Hubert de Bouillard de la Fronde. Oh, nope. That's the French label. Yeah. Hang
2: on.
0: <laughs> Hubert de Bouillard de la Fronde is an onologist, a consultant, and the co-owner of Chateau Anglou, First Grand Cru Class A, and Saint-Emilion. In 1998, he bought this estate with his children and renamed its wine Le Fleur de Boyard. The vineyards are planted in deep gravelly soils in what is an extension of the nearby Pomerol Plateau. Pomerol. Thank you. <laughs> the resulting wines boast deep color, intense fruit, and velvety tannins. Mies and Boyard à Chateau. Uh,
1: you, you kind of have a British accent when I? you're pronouncing French. <laughs> 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 That's not surprising. <laughs>
0: Although probably deeply, deeply offensive to the French. And also deeply, deeply offensive to any British listeners we may have. Um, it is This is another Bordeaux. Uh, it is a Grand Vin Bordeaux. Uh, It is a 2015 vintage and is also 14.5% ABV. Mm. Um, There are no notes on the blend, of course. Um, Well,
1: as we mentioned before, what makes it a a Bordeaux is that it is grown in Bordeaux. So it doesn't really need to give us that. Oh, that is
0: true. You and your crafty science.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of simplistic, but, you know, them's the rules.
0: All right, let's open this up.
1: Now this is at a slightly higher price point.
0: Correct. Uh, So the wine we drank earlier, um, even though it had a 94 rating from James Suckling, uh, was only like a $12 bottle of wine. Um, So not super, didn't really break the bank. Um, Wasn't really like super out of the, out of our normal price point. However, since this is such a wine heavy and french heavy episode we felt it appropriate to step out a little bit and this is a 35 five dollar bottle of wine yes
1: not not super
0: (laughs) not super break the banky but you know know,
1: it's pretty much double our our normal price point we usually try to stick within like the 10 to 20 dollar uh price point but this seemed like a worthy occasion
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely worthy Oh wow! <laughs> oh,
1: they weren't kidding when they talked about velvety tannins.
0: Yeah. Um. Am I crazy or am I getting like ocean spray, like sea salt, like like ocean breeze? Like
1: there's a little brininess to there, it.
0: There's like a brininess to it. A lot, a lot of tannins. Um. It, yeah, it kinda smells like a strong tea, like an English breakfast tea or
1: that's to go along with your British accent when you're pronouncing this wine, right?
0: Fleur de billard <laughs> <laughs> Now go away or I will taunt you a second time. <laughs> I like it. Yeah.
1: You know, my pronunciation is not great by any means. Yeah, I I, that- I I
0: I I say that knowing full well that I'm absolutely obliterating any French that I'm attempting tonight. <laughs> So, um, I am getting in this, I'm getting like an inkiness. I'm getting that, like that licorice weird.
1: or... T- that might be it. Yeah, like I'm getting something a little bitter.
0: Shall we give it a taste though? Yes. All right then. Cheers.
1: Atasante.
0: Atasante. That is a very formal wine. If that makes sense.
1: The second sip really opened up for me. Yeah. The second sip was where I got a lot more fruit notes.
0: Yes. (laughs) It's very bitey and fruit forward on the nose with a lot of smoothness in the middle. That is very tanniny and very kind of indicative of a lot of like complex dry wines like this. A lot of the wine that we have on this show falls into that fast casual category. We tend to enjoy the medium price point, super accessible not standoffish, not gatekeepery <laughs> that is kind of fun for fun's sake, but still has a lot of depth and complexity to it. Mm. um this is the former this is a this is a fine dining wine. This is the kind of wine that you have at a a a restaurant where if you showed up in pants and a and a just a button down shirt. They would ask you to put on a jacket and provide you with a pair of black shoes that you could borrow for the evening.
1: Okay, so I guess what you're saying is that this is more est and what we usually yes, go is. for is scrumpy.
0: <laughs> no, no. Uh, we don't usually go for scrumpy. We usually go for the...
1: The next level up. No, scrumpy not even.
0: plus. <laughs> no. We usually go more in the apothic range. Or I mean, we're big fans of Boda Boxes, honestly. <laughs> so anybody that's ever seen those. Yeah, knows.
1: like accessible and, mm-hmm. you know, complex, but in a way that's still enjoyable and you don't usually have to think about it too much.
0: But there's but there's depth there if you would like to seek it. Um, I've talked about like art wine on this podcast before. Um, this isn't quite art wine. Uh, this is this is a fine experiential dining wine. Um, this is the kind of like I said that you have this. This would go well with a very strong leg of lamb um, that you has been prepared uh, in a sous vide style for the past like eighteen hours over a bed of like Hungarian mint uh, jelly. That was smoked for in in you know Indonesia for eighteen hours uh, right. with well, a side of like uh, Finnish uh, red carrot mash. This is very very exceedingly like fancy, m- fancy. Yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> like so, a lot of French cuisine is very strong. Similarly to the feast that Gerald attends, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of gaminess. There is a lot of like strong flavors. So it makes sense to me that a lot of wine in France is like this. It's meant to be accompanied Mm -hmm. by strong Mm -hmm. flavors.
0: Yeah. And I think some of that that need for I I was just kind of trying to, to reel it back more. This is definitely wine that is more designed to accompany a meal. Like you had said, and a lot of like a lot of very traditional French cuisine. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that one of um, one of my childhood friends, mothers who grew up in France, talked about um, eating uh, snails. Um, As cargo, Her and her family would literally go down to the stream, collect the snails <laughs> and then prepare them. <laughs> so this is the kind of wine that I think you would want to pair with something like that. It's interesting because it's not really a strong wine in and of itself, but it, it would stand up well to strong flavor pairings. Mm. It's not super bitey. It's not super acidic. I think that there's a brininess to it. So I think, it, it, yeah, this is, this, is a, this is a wine of the old guard, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I I think that makes sense. This is a more traditional French wine. And I think wine in France is changing just as, you know, wine everywhere. It's probably going more in the direction of the branding and the style that American winemakers are exhibiting, a little bolder. Um, But there is still a big place in French wine for this like kind of older style for the more traditional and I would say that this fits more in the traditional category.
0: I would actually say that this kind of borders just on the edge of like a smoky scotch mm. um, but like kind of a light, very light one obviously um, and without obviously all the alcohol burn that scotch kind of goes with um, yeah. but it has that kind of smoky peatiness to it that you kind of get in a lot of scotches. It, it drinks kind of similarly as well
1: yeah, usually we try to pick a wine based on the theme. Like, so we'll pick it based on the title, and if it happens to have a flavor that is complementary to the chapter, that's great. But um, this is kind of just thematically and like the setting fits this wine so yes we were i mean trying to without go, wine
0: there is no life
1: as Frangilla would say yeah so exactly we had to pick a french wine for this we had to celebrate with french wine so um i think that this definitely fits the I, bill
0: i think both of them very much hit the bill um completely on the head and i would absolutely go back to both of them um if i could actually remember their names <laughs>
1: We're having fun exploring these French wines, but Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. we should probably move on to our very Mm, French mm. setting.
0: Yes. Uh, So we move into last call. Is that what you're implying?
1: I guess.
0: Last call, save rounds, alibis. Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. like a lot happened in this chapter. Oh my
0: God, so much happened in this um, chapter.
1: So I have a lot of thoughts about Geralt in this chapter. I'm glad Geralt made a friend, like that, <laughs> uh, you know, he has <clears> throat> uh, throat> uh, his friend Reynard. Oh, um, oh right, uh, mm, we're, we're going right. to cover that first. Um, <clears throat> okay. So I think it's really interesting that, like, we have this framing device as we often do where, you know, we're in the present, which is. Yule Eve, so Christmas Eve. Um, and that's two months after they arrive. So we're having him reminisce um about like what happened that led him to wintering in Tucson. So the last question that was posed by Cond is why did Gerald just winter in Toussaint I thought he was all gung-ho about finding Siri rescuing Siri so what kept him
0: a guy yeah a guy who has crossed 2,000 miles in a period of like two and a half months seems pretty on a mission and then suddenly suddenly stops for like four months in some town somewhere that 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 raises some questions
1: and we get, like, you know, that that first reading um, where Dandelion is saying, like, it's none of your business, really, what he was doing. And, like, really, this is trying to explore that question of, like, why did Geralt spend two months here when he said he wanted to do this and rescue Ciri? Like, what was he doing? And so Reinhardt is sort of acting as the avatar for the audience, uh, sort of questioning him about what happened next and, like giving us these hints about a Greenhide woman that we kind of already knew this was coming. We kind of already knew that he would get involved in this way. Um, But it's interesting because we've seen that Geralt is changing a little bit. Like, whereas before Geralt was kind of a shadow of himself, really his only purpose in life was to find Ciri, we see Geralt getting a little selfish again. We see Geralt kind of, like... You know he's happy now But it's kind of like at what cost Have you forgotten what brought you here So what do you think About like the changes that we're noticing In Geralt in the present day
0: Um, So we're definitely Seeing that Geralt is very much Losing focus Um, But I think that's kind of obvious Like uh, we definitely see him And and we kind of see It reflected in almost everybody to some Extent Um, we kind of see a lot of kind of just softening Um, that like, this is kind of the first time that we've seen the party really like come in off the road um, for more than like a day or two. Um, And they all kind of start to find like people that they like and they kind of like set up roots and like, it's just very, everything is just very, very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to sound cliche, I know there's probably a lot of people that have heard this phrase, but like complacency kills, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's kind of what we're what we're seeing, the, like the starting, you know, the starting level of, um, in that like they're kind of just getting, a, they're starting to just kind of take root a little bit, they're kind of starting to settle in, um, you know, uh, what do we really need to accomplish here, anyways? I mean, we're you know we. We went pretty far. We we thought we were gonna die, but we didn't. But we're here, and this is pretty nice. This wine is good. This food is good. That person across the table is pretty cute. Hmm,
1: that's a good description. Yep, <laughs> and I feel like we've seen this a lot, like in the hero's journey, where the hero is just sort of tempted to stay in one place. Like you know, sirens come to mind, but there have been a lot of you know media where you know you're either in a dream or you're you know kind of seduced into staying in one place and it feels like i was like only a dream it does Sorry. very much feel like gerald's being plied into you know being comfortable like you said being complacent and getting a little greedy if i may say i mean yeah <laughs> a little
0: greedy a little okay? greedy yeah yeah so OK,
1: as I've said before, you know, mm-hmm. this kind of has the feeling of Geralt playing rounds of Gwent when he's supposed to be searching for <laughs> Siri. It's like, OK, yeah, you say you want to find Siri, but then you're taking all these contracts and he sort of writes it off to like Regis and Reynard is like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I can always just say no. I can always keep raising my price like I can always get out yeah, of yeah. it. But really, does he intend to do that? Because he seems to be going on all these side quests, yep. which you know, as a video game player, we can probably relate to. Um, I
0: can't. I never do. <laughs> I'm only. You're I, weird. I, okay. I, I, um, I never. I, I okay. A little bit of background on me on that joke. I never do side quests.
1: It's weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> like side quests are sometimes some of the best missions in they, the game. They are,
0: and I will never say that they're not. But like I. I don't do them. I don't know what it is. Anyways, um yeah, so he's he's doing like these side quests so that uh, well, he doesn't really have not a reason. Not for any reason. Not for any real reason. It's not even that
1: people are needing help like, mm-hmm. oh, my brother died. Can you go find him? Um, it's more like hey,
0: can you <laughs> maybe ignore the blowjob ghost? <laughs>
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's like he has set up this whole racket where, like, let's talk about the succubus for a moment yes. because I didn't really hit on it too much in my summary. But No, no, because like, I figured happens, we'd have too
0: much fun with it. <laughs> what the-
1: happens is that Duchess Honorietta says, on behalf of me and all the women of Toussaint Please oh, kill this please succubus. Please kill the succubus, and all the men start coming to him in these little groups and being like, "You know
0: what? Hey, can you can you like leave the succubus alone? The succubus
1: like, is not, really not hurting anybody, anyone. Yeah. Can yeah, you yeah. just keep it on the DL? Like, don't tell the ladies. Like, um, but here's a
0: whole bunch of money to just say that you can't kill it."
1: collect money from both the duchess and mm-hmm. us, but then it's like several groups of men, so yes. he keeps getting donations. He, keep,
0: he keeps getting hit up to not kill this succubus.
1: Yes, and he's just like, yeah, like look at my uh, Cimfinelli's uh, bank account. Just uh, yeah, yeah. You know, throw a couple of coins in there. Uh, surprise me with your generosity.
0: Toss a coin to your succubus protector.
1: Yeah, like, he's being a little bit of a bastard. Like, just a little bit. And it's just not so flattering to Geralt in this chapter. Like, as much as I think that he probably has earned a little bit of reprieve, he's definitely turned into, yeah, whatever, um, you know, I'm just going to make money and, you know, sit on my ass in Toussaint and you're going to pay me for it. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean like I think so one of the things that uh, is kind of hinted at and alluded to is that like it does always kind of seem like the work is kind of lean um, and always has been. Um, So like I think Geralt is kind of enjoying a little bit of the fact that like oh you mean these winemakers are going to pay me like an actual mountain of coins because they have it because they're rich ass winemakers and all I have to do is go kill a little tiny bat thing in their basement that's been dangerous to them. But like, this is the equivalent of like catching a chicken to me. <laughs> like, yeah, this like, is the, the work is easy, the pay is good. Um, you know, meaning that like I'm not going to like go kill like a giant spider monster um, that's been eating children for the past like six months and is super overpowered now because it's very well fed. Um, And then the the townspeople are going to argue me down by like 20 coins.
1: Yeah, like I get it. Like it's probably very overwhelming to suddenly, you know, have a bunch of money being tossed at you to be like, you know, kind of at the top of the world. You're staying at the castle. You have a love interest that's like the right hand of the queen. Like, you are sitting comfortably, but it's, like, in the process, you've lost the whole reason why you came here in the first place. Yep. And, like, it just seems like he's slipping, slipping, slipping. Like, we find that a little bit when Geralt says, like, oh, it won't hurt to stay here for a few days, a few weeks, a few months. You know, he just, it keeps getting extended further. And it's, like, okay, but, like, What are we going to do? And then
0: suddenly you hear Motley Crue on the classic rock station. I I guess. (laughs) Uh, Sorry.
1: It's just, it's very interesting because it's in stark contrast to the Geralt that we've seen, you know, really from Baptism of Fire, maybe the very end of Time of Contempt on. Like, we've seen someone who's laser focused. And as you say, Mm -hmm. he's losing focus. So... Do we even know this character anymore?
0: I would say that we do. In all, all honesty, I would say that we know him better now um, because I really feel like I, this is a very relatable thing. Like, um, you, you know, you get to a point in life sometimes where, like, you've kind of made things in your career. You've kind of gotten, you know, somewhere where you're successful um, and you lose that drive to push forward further and harder you know what i mean that like you kind of you're no longer necessarily you know once you're no longer like you know fighting for food scraps for your dinner kind of thing from a metaphoric standpoint obviously i don't mean to be you know uh, i don't know what that would be um i don't mean to be offensive but like you know, there, there's that, that that hunger and that drive that kind of occurs in you when when that is, you know, when you're literally fighting to feed yourself, um, that you will you'll fight harder and you'll you'll go further to 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 get that done. Once you get to a certain level of success and you're no longer your needs are now met, your hierarchy of needs is moved up. Um, you don't necessarily want it as bad.
1: Yeah, and I will say it's not just Geralt that's feeling comfortable. It's mm, everyone mm-hmm. in the party, like, yep. namely Dandelion. So Dandelion, yes. you know, let's talk about him for a second. He's been, um, you know, really set on following Geralt throughout this whole journey, you know, documenting it. He's kind of a hungry writer. He, mm mm-hmm basically a journalist i mean like yeah,
2: a little bit
0: a singing
1: journalist um you know following it um, documenting what's happening but now
0: songs were the traditional means of delivering story and narrative right so i mean so
1: he is now kind of dropped all of that because mm -hmm. he has a love interest who is treating him like a pet like It's not even as an equal, like not even as like a maybe a third of the status. Mm -hmm. She's treating him as an actual pet, like a dog or a cat. There's one. Wait, there is one exchange where he's sitting next to her and she's like petting him like a dog.
0: She was literally stroking his head. Um,
1: He's a pet to her.
0: I would say I would say that he is but um the thing is is that even in that kind of a status like you're still more you still outrank everyone else.
1: Yeah, I get it. It's just like it shows that everyone is sort of falling into comfort. Like mm-hmm. it's way more, you know, convenient and and fun to be here rather than on the road and cold yep. and hungry and, you know, needing a drink. So I get why everyone's doing this and like even to a lesser extent, you know, Milva is Mm -hmm. finding a Mm -hmm. love interest and is finding a lot of, you know, she's a celebre. She's, you know, suddenly she's a the belle of the ball and Mm -hmm. all the guys Mm -hmm. are very interested in her. Um, K here is sought after by Baron's the daughters. Baron's
0: daughters, yeah, yeah.
1: So everyone's kind of finding, oh hey, I, I like how it feels here. I like having the attention. I like not having a scrap all the time. So yeah, that's yep. it speaks to what Angle M said at the end. Like, yeah, we're all feeling good, but like it feels weird. Like everything feels weird. It's like we're trapped in this vortex.
0: Yeah. Um there's there's an old uh, there there's an old like um I don't even know where I where I found it but like there there was a there was a navy seal a long while back who talked about how important it was to take a cold shower every day um like an ice cold shower every day and he meant that literally too um but the the reasoning behind it was that like when you like put yourself at that level of discomfort every day, even just a little bit, um, like it kind of rekindles that level of like that, that tenacity to some extent that because, because you, you lack something and, and that is kind of one of, one of the, one of the biggest motivations that like the, primitive lizard reptile brain in the back of our heads kind of pushes for things and motivates for things is lack. So when you have no lack, you, that, that, that lizard reptile brain, that monkey brain kind of shuts down a little bit. Um, and as a result, you, you don't, you don't push for things. You don't advocate for things. You don't work to things. Um, yeah. I think it's a little bit weird and a little bit extreme, I actually, I don't think it's that extreme, but it's a little weird, <laughs> um,
1: yeah, like I kind of agree with that, like mm-hmm. you know, I think, like you said, complacency kills, and we can all get comfortable in our ways, and we don't want to change things after a while, mm. but I don't think it's necessarily that you have to have a lack, like I think that you just have to have that drive to begin with, yeah, and yeah. like in the case of everyone I think everyone has been so exhausted that it makes sense that they want to just have some time to enjoy mm-hmm, themselves mm-hmm. but after a time it's like
0: where's uh, the threshold right of like right. you're no longer enjoying yourself you're now just like lounging Yes, and <laughs> yep. like
1: you've missed your window. Like they keep talking about how you can't escape from Toussaint out of mm-hmm. the mountain passes after a certain point, and they've missed their window, and yes. no one yep. seemed to have that sense of urgency. Namely, Gerald, who should have had that urgency. So it's very interesting the position that we find our heroes, our party in, mm. um, in this chapter. I just find that a fascinating theme. Um. Let's talk a little bit about the Dandelion Geralt fight.
0: Ooh. So, one of the big things that I actually was just about to talk about and was about to bring up was the fact that, like, you mentioned that uh, how important it is to have that drive to begin with. Um, and I would kind of argue that Dandelion kind of doesn't um, mm. have that drive. Um, Dandelion's all about the adventure, he's all about the fun. Yeah. But Dandelion. And I kind of like you can kind of infer to some extent that he does come from privilege. There's been a lot of allusions to it. There's been a lot of like hintings at it. He even
1: says it in he, this chapter he that even, he comes from. You this know, is long where it's confirmed. Yes.
0: Yep. Um, so like he's never really seemed to have like literally like everything about his motivations kind of seems to be just for fun. Um, And just kind of more out of like... Seeking adventure, helping his friends, getting a good story... Rather than like need.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Because, you know, now that I'm thinking about it... It kind of makes sense to me that... uh, Dandelion was always a rich kid that never needed to worry about... Like, where is my next meal coming from? Like, he had the charisma he had the you know ability to sort of be able to talk his way into you know a room or you know whether it was like seducing a woman or you know Mm -hmm. staying with a friend he he never went without really or you know if it came to it; he could always go to Geralt. Um, but really, I think he was just never—he never really had an urgency to do anything because I think he was probably always taken care of.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Because I and and that's kind of like he he definitely always behaved out of want and rather than need. Um, like you can you can tell, and one of one of the key themes of the Witchers is that basically that they kill monsters to feed themselves. Um and that like yeah, sometimes they kind of splurge and indulge and you know, we talk about le- uh, Geralt's fancy leather jacket that he <laughs> spent a whole bunch of money on. Thick leather jacket. Yeah. Um but like that was kind of like one of his big indulgences other than booze and um Women. sex sex workers. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say the WHO word, but no, none, none. um but yeah, sex workers. Um But, yeah, like, so those are kind of, like, what his, those are kind of what Geralt's, like, drives are, is kind of a need that he doesn't have those things. Dandelion, like, even though, like, he seems very, he has very much, like, the vibe of, like, a kind of a trust fund kid. um, That, like, even though he may not have that money in his account right now he never really acts like he needs it because he knows that if he ever really did need it, like if he ever like really couldn't pay a bill or something like that, he could probably just go to someone somewhere, whoever his, you know, his overseer of his Mm -hmm. trust and be like, Hey, I need money. And they'd be like, Oh, yep, here you go. Here's all the money you could ever need.
1: There's probably a safety net and and Mm -hmm. there's probably something to be said about like, you know, Geralt's a child of adversity and poverty
0: whereas
1: you know dandelion is or julian is um really a child of privilege Mm. there's probably Mm -hmm. something to be said for that but i think at the end of the day um he's always just been looking for his meal ticket and duchess honorietta is like the ultimate meal ticket i was gonna
0: say so one of the big things that i wanted to point out in this chapter was the fact that like dandelion's motivation has always just been to kind of to make it like you said to find his meal ticket to you know find a place in society to be privileged to you know to yeah to to be a made man um and he finds it here um so this is this was like his big motivation um so it's kind of hard to like you can't really fault him too much other than just being soft you know getting squishy and annoying (laughs) like um that, like, this is, you know, this was basically his big driving factor right now. And so, like, this was his end goal. Like, where he got to right now was his end goal. So, like, you look at, like, Geralt's end goal and, like, his end goal is to rescue Siri. Dandelion's ultimate end goal was, like, find a fancy place to set down and, like, you know, kind of take up roots and then, you know, live in the lap of luxury mm-hmm the vehicle to achieve that was to follow Geralt around, collect his stories, and then recount them as, you know, his tale um, and get famous that way and then become rich and live in the lap of luxury. Um, yeah. So because he, he skipped a couple steps, he kind of just wants to stay here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's also a big a big factor in that Dandelion does, we, we do know now confirm that Dandelion comes from nobility or at least some form of like money. Um, so this was kind of, this definitely kind of plays into the, the, the idea in his head of like, well, I deserve this. This is what I am entitled to as I am of a certain status.
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's Geralt who is sort of calling, you know, the kettle black like he sees that he's comfortable. And I think maybe this is a little bit of Geralt projecting like I think he's calling out himself.
0: Yes, um, this is this is definitely some a little bit of classic projection Uh, in both cases, in all honesty. Yeah. because very obviously, Geralt, Geralt is a kind of a man of simple wants. Like, um, he wants gold, sex, and that's about it. Um, and he's getting both of those. So, like, his ultimate motivating, like his non siri related motivating factors, are also being met. Yeah. So, yeah, he he's struggling against himself already, and Dandelion is already is now kind of playing into that, like. Hey, I'm comfortable here. You're comfortable here. Don't don't rock the boat, man. Like Don't mess up
1: a good thing. Don't
0: mess up a good thing. Like don't don't mess up the bag. Like
1: Yeah, like so I'll I'll just read the the final quote from yeah, Dan Lion. We set off from Brocolon on a deranged mission, taking a lunatic risk. We launched ourselves on An insane quest for a mirage without the slightest chance of success. A quest for a phantom, a daydream, an absolutely impossible ideal. We set off in pursuit like idiots, like madmen, but I didn't utter a word of complaint. Geralt, I didn't call you a madman. I didn't ridicule you, for you had hope and love in you. You were being guided by them on this reckless mission. I was too, as a matter of fact. But I've caught up with the mirage, and I was lucky enough that the dream came true. My mission is over. I've found what is so difficult to find. And I intend to keep it. Is that insanity? It would be insanity to give it up and let it slip through my fingers.
0: Like I said, this was Dandelion's big motivating factor. Like, he got the win. Like, this was his end goal. Like... But um,
1: was it the end goal that he set out with? Like, I don't think he had an end goal.
0: No, I would say that. Okay, so here, here's where I think the, mo- the motivating factors of Dandelion shift. Um, this would have been his initial intended goal. Mm. Was living in the lap of luxury, being a made man in whatever factor, you know, in whatever way that takes shape. I think along the way, he got very wrapped up and attached to helping Siri.
1: Do you think he cares about Siri anymore? or
0: At this point, I think somewhere I think he does somewhere deep inside, and I think he may be trying to numb that a little bit with with the opulent lifestyle that he's currently living. Mm. Um, because I think he I think he does feel a little bit of guilt um, in that like he knows that he doesn't want to keep, go on. Because like I said, this was this was his initial this was his initial outcome. But I think once he got more involved in the narrative and involved in the activities, um, that I think he kind of bought into the idea. I think he kind of bought into the story and he bought into helping you know the mission. Hmm. Um, and I think you know he now he kind of got here and he's like, oh cool, this was this was what I was doing it all for anyways. And now he's like, well, I mean, I kind of didn't really care about this as much anymore. Like, I wanted to help Siri. I wanted to to, to save her. But, I mean, this is really nice. Who, I really like that someone will feed me grapes in bed. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I,
1: I, I do think he's the ultimate example of complacency kills. But yeah. um, So, who do you think is more justified in the fight? Geralt or Dandelion?
0: Neither one of them. Um, I mean, Geralt maybe slightly in that he's still trying to He's still trying to salvage mm-hmm. things, um, but that's really about it. Uh, because, in, in all honesty, Geralt is kind of a hypocrite in this, um, in that you know he he has also been very complacent in like, hey, you know, I'm making good money here. There's lots of witchering work. It's pretty easy. Um, these were a lot of before Siri. and I think that I think that's a lot of. There's, there's, like you said, there's like a weirdness about this that like almost every single part of this, like for each one of the party members, this is like an ideal utopia Mm -hmm. for their motivations pre-Siri.
1: Yeah, it's it's weird because like it's perfect, but it's almost too perfect. Yes. Um, There's something that feels like a trap There's something that feels a bit like a trap in it. And I think that's what's the compelling thing. I would Mm -hmm. agree with you. I think that like if I was going to pick like someone who's slightly more justified, I would probably say Dandelion just because Geralt is calling out Dandelion without, you know, really having a moral high ground himself. Yeah. Yep. Um, but it is kind of sad to see them potentially part on this note seeing as they've come so far together.
0: Well, like I said, I I really do. So I feel like this will probably shake out this way. Gerald will probably establish enough conviction to leave at some point. Um probably at some point in the next month or two. Um he will he will establish enough determination, enough willpower, enough conviction to leave. Um Dandelion will probably follow after like a week after after Geralt leaves. Um because he'll realize like oh all of my friends are gone. I don't really want to be here anymore. This is fun and I want to come back to this. But like I I had I think Dandelion I very much think Dandelion had has been numbing you know his guilt in food women uh, maybe women well woman (laughs) and song (laughs) wine wine definitely wine um they've all been numbing it with wine um but yeah like i i I think i think dandelion and definitely gerald both just feel some guilt about being here and they're kind of trying to numb it
1: Hmm. so speaking of numbing it Mm -hmm. let's talk about fringilla
0: who okay.
1: That's a big topic.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
1: let's give a little recap about Fringilla and Geralt. So first of all, like we did see this coming. Um, Geralt- it's
0: Yeah, they've been alluding to it for five chapters now.
1: Geralt has a meet cute with Fringilla. He immediately likes her. They have this uh, Festival of the Vat. He's her escort. They have sort of this flirtatious exchange um she sort of needles him he is cautious with her but eventually his resolve breaks and they have sex in a library but then we get you know some hints that there might be trouble on the horizon we get the sense that maybe this union wasn't as honest as either of them thought it was So first of all, let's talk about Frangilla and Geralt. What do you think of this relationship? And I, we are disclaimer, of course, as always, we are big Yennefer. I'm not going to call him dad. We are we are big Yennefer stands on this podcast. So of course, like while while our girl is hurting, it's hard for us to just see Geralt like living his best life, drinking wine, and having sex with Frangilla. So. You know, bias completely, you know, disclosed in this exchange. But if you were to try to be unbiased, what do you think of this relationship between Geralt and Fringilla?
0: If I were to try to be unbiased, it it does feel... Okay, so it's very hard to tell because it's very hard to tell how much Fringilla is actually into it because she's into Geralt. Or if it's like the Lodge has told her, you need to keep him here do whatever you need to do. And she's just kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to sleep with him. Um, It's very hard to tell um, if her motivations are entirely like for T R R for the right reasons. Um, So yeah, it's very hard to kind of get an objective look as to like whether or not, if this, if this relationship would have established itself organically or not. Um, Or even if this is organic, like it's possible it is, I guess, maybe, Um, but it doesn't necessarily seem like it is. So I think we're going to the only thing we're going to we're going to see is like what how it shakes out. Um, And if 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 it shakes out the way I think it might, I kind of get the feeling it's going to come out that she was working for the lodge Um, And Geralt's going to be all offended about that and then be like, we need to leave now. Um, And then they do.
1: Yeah, like, if I'm trying to be unbiased, like, I actually don't think that Fringilla is a bad person. Like, I think that... She does like Geralt. Like, I think that much is clear. I think they have a chemistry. I think if they met in normal circumstances, they probably would have hit it off. Like, it's clear that they have a chemistry. What I do think is that the circumstances that they're in now makes it impossible for them to be honest with each other. Like, Mm -hmm, mm so I think that on Geralt's um, part, he is hurting. Like, he's still hurting from everything that's been happening. Like, keep in mind, it's only been a few months. So, when he arrives in Tucson, it's October. Like, he, in July, so only a few months before, he had reunited with Yennefer. Yennefer, he thinks, now betrayed him. So, that happened really quickly. And then, Siri was ripped away from him. So it kind of makes sense why Geralt is seeking this comfort. So I understand for his part why he's drawn to Fringilla. And I do think that Fringilla also reminds him of Yennefer, not only because she's a sorceress, but because, you know, she has a similar wit. She has a similar intellect. Like, I think there are parts of her that, remind him a lot of Yennefer. On Fringilla's part, I think she's very drawn to Geralt. I think that it's clear why a lot of women like Geralt. He's handsome, he's kind of charming in a roguish way Um, and like I think that she really does like him he presents a challenge to her but on another hand like she also has to manipulate him so while I think they both do like each other I don't think they really can be honest with each other yeah
0: and in none of the points earlier uh, would I would I say I do not think that uh, Frangilla is a bad person um, by any means I I I don't think she has. She, I don't think she has malicious motivations by any means. I think, at worst, her motivations are that she just wants to help the lodge, and that is probably the end of it. The lodge itself. The lodge itself. Of course, their motivations are to uh, uh, to get to Siri before Geralt does, mm-hmm. or Vogaforts uh, does, or anyone does, or anyone does. <laughs> um, so, obviously, this is part of their plan to waylay Geralt um, because he was making the fastest progress to getting to her. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, it, there's a possibility that she... This may be something that she'd be doing anyways. Um, I think I think you are 100% correct in that. I think, like, a lot of times um, people have characteristics and qualities that they're drawn to in people. So, there's going to be, like, a type... If you look at like mm-hmm. for anybody, um, if you look at like every person that they've ever you know been with or dated or you know spent time with, there go there's going to be similar threads throughout all of them. Um, and so I think yeah, I think I think Fringilla very much has a lot of a lot of the same ones. I'm trying to discount the just oh she's a sorcerer <laughs> because like just because somebody has the same job as you know your ex doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like them, but Geralt does have some mommy issues with sorceress. Yeah. Sorceresses.
1: Yeah, like, it's very interesting. And I think that there are definitely parts of Fringilla that remind him of Yennefer. I think that, namely, it's that she challenges him. And, like, for that, like, I I can't really... I can't really say that their chemistry is all false. Like, because I think there are real things there. But at the end of the day... Gerald is using her for something Fringilla is using him for something So do I think this is a long term relationship That's going to work Even in the most ideal circumstances Probably no
0: mm, mm-hmm.
1: But um, there is a lot of sex <laughs>
0: There's all There's a lot of sex um, There's a whole bunch of sex
1: It's interesting the choice To include so much sex Was that just to inject some sort of levity to this I don't know like what was on season 10
0: so I mean like that's a good question Um, because and and I think I think you kind of hit on it earlier that like I think this is definitely a good and it's not something that you see all the time um, in that it is a it's a pitfall in the hero's journey Mm. Um, and it, it adds it adds conflict without being punch your way out of conflict conflict um, if that makes sense, it's
1: emotional conflict. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and I think the 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 next closest and most direct obvious metaphor for this or allegory for this would be um the Iliad and the yeah, and Odysseus mm-hmm. and the sirens. Yeah. Um, that like there there's the sirens who are drawing men into their death, um by singing beguiling songs. <laughs>
1: Like representing temptation, yeah, and, yeah. and trying to veer the heroes off course.
0: Exactly, exactly, and and I feel like that that's pretty much what was occurring here. Um, and I think Ansei kind of just had a little bit of fun with it. In all honesty, I think he kind of probably wanted a break a little bit from the real serious heavy writing, and and kind of thought this could be a good little like side side jaunt. Um, it's always nice to see. You know, in in any story, like even the heaviest story, like you want to see, you want to see the hero and the protagonist. You want to see them do well. You want to see them have fun. Yeah, Um, it it makes them more relatable. It makes them, you know, it makes the story feel more enjoyable. Um, You know, because you can sit there and have like you know a a a fifteen chapter, just you know heavy slog through depressing content and it's a Cormac McCarthy book um which can be good but eventually you get to the end of that Cormac McCarthy book and you're just you're just kind of depressed yourself <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like sometimes you even even with heavy content books like you still kind of need something to break that up a little bit and so having your having your your characters all you know spend the winter at the french riviera is not terrible um in all Mm. honesty like this whole thing does kind of feel a little bit like a bottle episode um if that makes sense um a bottle episode i think i've mentioned before on the podcast but like being that like it it only takes place in one specific location um and they don't you know the main characters don't enter or leave during that or like they enter at the beginning and only leave at the end Mm. whole thing takes place within a specific constrained space and time Um, and uh, events that occur within the bottle episode don't affect really necessarily anything outside of it Um, so like yeah this could whole this whole thing could just be kind of like a, a fun little bottle episode for lack of a better description.
1: And I guess, like, what else could Geralt be doing at this point? Like, yeah, yep. Because, like, we know that Ciri sort of is going on her solo journey right now, so he has to be doing something with his party.
0: Yeah. Um, and it's not really like he can just freely travel through Nilfgaard either. So, no, like, they're, so, like, what are you going to do? What would he be doing anyways?
1: Yeah. Um, so I think that it's interesting that exchange we get after... Um, You know, the sex scene in the library, which we probably won't go into um, for obvious reasons. Um, It is what it is. But I think it's interesting that it seems like, you know, he says that we told each other, you know, mundane truths and very, you know, beautiful lies. Like kind of suggesting or downright saying that their relationship was both the truth and lies Mm, like there were parts mm, of their relationship mm. that were real but also parts of their relationship that were lies because they could never be true at a certain point they realized that Geralt had to leave to go and do what he was going to do and at a certain point they couldn't be together and I think they had to sort of tell each other things because they had to to continue the relationship
0: the whole thing feels very much like, and I, I think this is kind of what the allu- it's alluding to is that the whole thing kind of feels like a casual summer hookup.
2: It
1: does. It feels like it has a finite limit. Yes. On it.
0: Um, and in that, like, there's always like, if you're with someone like that, you you have a tendency to like tell them things that are true and vulnerable, but they're not really deep and vulnerable. They're not the real like meat and potatoes Mm -hmm. of like, this is why I'm vulnerable. Like it's, it's usually more of like a, I'm afraid of heights kind of thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's, uh, and (laughs) one of the best examples of this I can, I can think of is, um, an episode of my name is Earl um i'm not going to go into like big explanations of of what the show is about because mostly i can't remember but like there's a line in it where like um like uh the main female character is like oh i but you told me xyz thing like you told me we were going to get married and and he and uh the main character is just like oh no that was just pillow talk, baby. Like <laughs> I didn't mean anything by that. Like, <laughs> shit. I say a lot of things after sex. Like, um, it, and so it just has like, it, it's a really good example of just like, yeah, no, like, it, you know, like you kind of like in those sort of like quote unquote summer flings. Um, a lot of people tend to just fake vulnerability. Um and the whole thing kind of just has a vibe of that, you know what I mean?
1: Or like maybe it's real, but only real at the moment, you know? Like yeah,
0: that's a better way of putting it. Like, you know,
1: it's it's like okay, yeah, like it'd be great if we could be together forever, like yeah, um, yeah. But maybe that's not possible. Maybe you're going back to school on the West mm, Coast. Mm-hmm, I'm going back to school mm-hmm, on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe it's not possible that it can could, could happen. And I feel like it's always going to be inevitable that Geralt has to leave. Like yes. it always is going yep. to be inevitable that Geralt is going to try to go to Siri and, you know, maybe to a slightly lesser extent has to reunite with Yennefer because yeah. Yennefer is connected to him. Mm-hmm. Yennefer is connected to him and mm-hmm. also connected to Siri. So yeah. I think both of them kind of know that.
0: Yeah yeah. But
1: no one wants to say that Because that's Mm, not sexy mm -hmm. That doesn't make you want to continue this relationship Yes Like it's not fun So like I feel for both of them Because it is sort of tragic In that you know that it can't last Like it's one of those things where you're like This just isn't a long term thing
0: Nope Nope. Uh, It's sort of like Jim dating Karen Karen what, what, was that her character's name? Karen Filipelli. Uh, Rashida Jones. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Karen. Where it's just like, yeah, you like this, like, but you know this is just a summer fling.
1: It's like Thanos. Like, Yennefer is inevitable.
0: Yep. And yep. we
1: get that at the end. Like, we get a little... Like, okay, as a Yennefer stand, this was fun. Mm-hmm. It, like, mm-hmm. a little fun for me. But also, I felt a little sad for Fringilla in this moment. Yeah. Because apparently twice during sex, Geralt had called her Yennefer.
0: Like, even if you're not invested, like, being called the wrong name during sex is pretty fucking awful. Twice
1: like, during the same twice week. Twice in a week. <laughs> like, Geralt, twice my man, week. are you okay? Bro.
0: Because, like,
1: like, so... Even if this is a summer fling, like, Geralt still has Yennefer so on the brain that he cannot. Okay. He cannot let it go.
0: Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, honestly, that's what pet names are for. It's never going to be the wrong name.
1: All right. You gave me a lot of reason to distrust you.
0: <laughs> that's fair. Um, that is completely fair.
1: All right. Lots to think about now. <laughs> But I will say that, like, this whole thing is tragic, like, because we know that it can't last. Yeah. But that being said, I do take a little delight in knowing that uh, Yennefer is still so deeply embedded in Geralt's mind. She
0: is in his brain. <laughs> she will
1: never come out. Uh-huh. Um. It just, like... There's no point. It's like these two people are destined for each other. They're yep. they're part of each other. There's no way that anyone is ever going to permanently get between them.
0: Fringilla is a hydroelectric dam. Geralt is upstream. Wait, Yennefer is upstream. Geralt is a salmon that's swimming upstream to reproduce and then die. <laughs> like... You you can't stop the signal like it, it's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, it's it's very interesting, and like I think that it makes me think a lot of like the Jennifer and Fringilla meeting like mm-hmm. back in um I think it was the end of baptism. And oh fire. yeah,
0: didn't she make Fringilla cry?
1: She didn't make Fringilla cry. No, she made Tris cry. No, well, so it. when they when they met like fringilla and yennefer they had this moment of like they had already met across the field at the battle of sodden but now they were like you <laughs> and like it gave you the sense that these women would be on the opposite end of something at some point
0: yeah they they seem very much the kind of people who would be upset at each other at a pta meeting Mm. Um, not really like actual enemies, that but seems just a like
1: gender coded, John
0: It, yeah, and I didn't mean it to sound as gender coded as it was, <laughs> um, but like it does, it, it does very much vibe that like I think frenemy is kind of a good word. Frenemy but is like, a
1: perfect word for them.
0: It's almost even a little strong, though. I feel like, but ma- we haven't really seen them interact too much.
1: So for male writers, I will say that they're a little hard to write female characters well. I will say that. Um, I think Onsei does a better job at most.
0: Yeah, um, I, I kept waiting for this chapter to to burst into like her booblicious boobs bounced boobingly. <laughs> like, it
1: got a little bit into it that. It was a little close, but um, he is I, he, he is a heterosexual male, so I I can't expect that it's going to be perfect. Yeah, I was going to say um, as a
0: heterosexual male, I don't know that I could have done much better, but I think he did a pretty good job.
1: I will say that like. You know, not all women have to be frenemies. Like, mm-hmm. women can support other women, and we don't have to pit them yeah. against each other. I yeah. hate, like, the team Tris, team Yennefer, team... Like, yeah. I'm team no one. I'm team whoever... No, you're
0: team Yennefer.
1: I can't... I Okay.
0: Your team Yennefer. I, Just be honest about that. Fine. But, like, I am team she y- can still have friends.
1: I'm team Yennefer without being team anti-Tris. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm team Jennifer because I love Jennifer, because Jennifer is my favorite character, because I like her a lot. It's not that I'm anti Triss. It's just that like I don't think Triss is a great match for Geralt. And sometimes I don't think Jennifer is a great match for Geralt either. But no. I think it somehow works. <laughs> and we're we're gonna go with that. Um, like so I just don't I don't believe in in pitting women against women. So mm-hmm. I think Frangilla can have some great moments with Geralt. I think that um, we saw some knock rate moments. we saw some warning signs. Um, definitely the fact that she's trying to keep him in Tucson for as long as possible is a warning sign. But I do think there's something a little there's something, something a little tragic about this partnership. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah, it definitely has a shelf life, um, and I think that's kind of a lot of what this is alluding to. The interesting thing I think we'll be seeing how it shakes out yeah. um, because so like I really do like I kind of love all of this for all of them. I mean, except for except for Geralt and Fringilla. Um, so I, I really kind of want to see this shake out in a way that like, OK, they I want to see them all leave. Mm-hmm. Go save Siri, do whatever the end of the book requires. But I kind of want to see them come back and like retire here. Like I can see to why Cor-
1: Corvo Bianco. Everyone can, comes to the vineyard.
0: <laughs> I can very much see why, like Blood and Wine, like had Geralt and whoever he was with at the time or whoever you chose, like retiring Jennifer. here. Jennifer. I mean, yeah. Why would you choose anyone but Jennifer? Um, like I can very much see why that they set that as like Geralt's retirement. <laughs> like, like, yeah, like, I get it. Like this it's, is one hundred percent. Like everything about this. Like if you crafted like a, a specific like happy ending for them, this would pretty much be it.
1: Yes, and I I do like the end that Blood and Wine provides. Um, so, um, we know that Fringilla is spying on Geralt in part for the Lodge. So what do we think is going to happen with Geralt next? What do we think is going to happen with the party next? Because we did see this scene where Geralt overhears them all talking about how mm-hmm. this this feels like a trap. It feels like, um, you know, we we have to get out of here soon. Someone has to talk to Geralt. So we know this is coming and it seems like Geralt knows this is coming. But what's what's next?
0: So I think the party will talk to Geralt. Um, they'll be like, we need to leave, blah, blah, blah. Things don't feel good here. Um, it doesn't feel right, etc., cetera, et cetera. And Geralt will be like, blah, blah, blah. We, ah, you're fine. You're, you guys are imagining things, blah, blah, blah. This is, you know, you're, you're stupid. We, we can stay here as long as we want. Um, and then I think he's going to find out about Fringilla spying for the Lodge. Um, in some way shape or form uh, and then he's going to be like oh, we need to leave right now <laughs> alright everybody load up and, and everybody's just kind of like we said that like a week ago <laughs> and they're like alright well alright I guess we'll go <laughs> um, and I think they load up and just leave um, and I think because I was kind of thinking about that like as a writer like okay if I had written my characters into this situation how the hell am I going to get them out Um, because the only way, I mean, the only way you can make someone like a character believably do something is if you provide motivation right now. They have no motivation. (laughs)
1: Yeah. They have to have something. mm -hmm.
0: So the only thing that can do that is to change something. So if you change Fringilla, no longer being like a friend of Geralt, like that changes a lot of things. Everybody kind of just follows Geralt anyway. So it's kind of simple. It's kind of easy, but there you go. They're, they're out of Toussaint.
1: I will say that we are going to have a moment in the next chapter where something's going to change. It's going to change dramatically and I'm not going to give any more details because I want it to be a surprise, but there is going to be a moment where everything changes and Mm -hmm. that's going to be like the point where everyone turns on their heel and they're like, okay something has to happen yeah
0: now. I figured everybody in one way or another I figured everybody would leave within like a two hour period like maybe not Dandelion Dandelion's like the only outlier in that like I think he's going to follow but I think he'll follow much later hmm. Um, because I, I think he's much deeper in Um, and I, I he's one of those ones I would love to see return like at the end Um, but yeah I, I think I think everybody just follows Geralt um, so question on the side. Uh, so I know you haven't finished the books. How far into this book are you?
1: I'm not going to reveal because I don't want anyone to know.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's rude, but fine. I suppose Because
1: you always try to trick me into revealing spoilers and I figure it's better if you don't know. So you can't be like, Oh, Oh, that's an admonition. <laughs>
0: Like I said, I was mostly trying to figure out like until like where where we're, at what point will we get on new new ground with you?
1: I will let you know.
0: Okay. Okay. Once we get there, you'll let us know.
2: Mhm. Okay.
0: Okay. I think I can abide by that. Um with that though, I think the fire might be getting a little low. And I think uh we might need to go down a couple of bottles of activated charcoal. Um, to help counteract the very, very strong French wine. Um, Also, omelet de fromage. Until next time, I'm John Mark.
1: And I'm Alexa. Good night. Good night.